Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast where we know that Joel's name is actually Troy. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and uh, I mean, I'm no Mikey B. I'm Mike Bloom, and when I also say Ozzy's name, Stardust comes out of my mouth. Uh, and I'm Paul Lasselson, uh from Montana, and it's true, we don't have sharks here. <laughs> I can't believe you beat me to that joke. I, already, I have it circled on my page that I want to talk about sharks in He's Montana. He's from Montana, <laughs> Mario. He has an edge. <laughs> I think that's like one of the only times it's actually ever mentioned on the actual show, so the fact that you know, I had to be the first one to bring that one up. His Super Saiyan level is like super high, Montana-wise, because like... For for a couple of years there, he was a Montanan that was not living in Montana. So you know, the siren, like his strength was sapped. Yeah, it's right? over. But it's over he... nine thousand. Which yeah. which I think the population of Montana might be under nine thousand. So that's saying right. something. Right, it's close. That's close. But who's, like that now Greek... that... who's that Greek god who, when he steps on the ground, he's invincible? But when he's off the ground, he's is it Antaeus or something uh, like that? The, the guy who invented Jerry Curl. Yes, that's <laughs> Paul Wait, is the Mon- Montana Antaeus. We're talking about gods from the season. We're talking about Jason. <laughs> yes. All right. Yes, we've already started joking around before we've even started the podcast. But yes. And predictably, uh, well, in historian's fashion, it was a Montana joke. So, uh, <laughs> you know, anyone with the drinking game, I guess, well, sorry, you're dead now. Well, but, we, we you really know, that's, got, that's we, life. We really got to keep the mood light for a really uproarious bunch of episodes that includes Jonathan Penner tearfully exiting the game and Kathy threatening to cut her hand off. Yeah, I was like sitting here going like we're trying to figure out how many episodes we're going to get through uh, in this podcast. And we were like, but it doesn't matter because if we get through four episodes or five episodes, we're we're still going to have like 85 people going home. (laughs) Unfortunately, one of those people is not Alexis, but (laughs) I guess that'll come in due time. You leave her be. She is doing her own thing. Every time she did something annoying this episode, I wrote it down. All right, so let's, let's keep this count going then. So, Mike, so you just didn't want to like a good character? (laughs) <laughs> that's well, right there's our callback i i was uh i was wondering if we because i had forgotten if the uh the ozzy alexis amanda foe love triangle was happening uh but i i believe we see like inklings of it when they go to exile island together but we don't really see it until they actually merge so that that has yet to come to fruition yet where i feel like you could have maybe some bones to pick if you're really a big Ozmanda shipper all right, for our listeners, uh, last time when we were talking about Micronesia, we left off with the third episode, the ever-so-sad the Owlman episode when Sari flipped on everybody, and uh, Penner and everyone were pissed about it, and that's right where we're going to start off here, episode four of Micronesia. You guys have anything else you need to get off your chest before we start? I don't know, Mr. Fan Fiction. Do we? <laughs> All right, we'll just cut that out. Mike, make sure to cut that. Yeah, so your, I mean, your your one coachee is now gone. So you can really have a really objective view on the season, right? Correct. Now I can just look at it as a as a as a civilian. All right. So we're going into uh, episode four. And by the way, I did just look it up. Antaeus was the guy in Greek mythology. When he's touching the ground, he's invincible. So Paul is basically invincible when he's in Montana. He's Antaeus. All right. So I'll cut that part out then. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Those are for our, our two fans that are into Greek literature or Greek mythology. All right. Episode four. We started off. Yao Man was just uh, voted out. And we come back to the favorites tribe. And everyone is yelling at Sari. Yeah, this is... Uh... We're seeing a little bit of Jonathan Penner's shoe on the other foot here. I mean, he's not calling Suri rat cancer or saying disparaging remarks about HB, her husband. But I don't know. I was seeing a little bit of shade of the Raros in Cook Islands here, specifically when he calls her disgusting and accuses her of, like, using him as a scapegoat to get her to flip. 
And this is the scene where they basically just agree at the end of the scene, we're just not going to trust each other anymore. Yeah. Sure. Sorry. No. <laughs> uh, slow start. I'm sorry. Yeah. Slow start. But yeah. but it, the the theme of what we're going to get into the next, I don't know, three, four, five episodes, I, I feel like, you know, for a lack of a better word, I think that there's there are several themes that run through them. And I think one of the themes is is just literally Sari. And Sari is doing Sari things. And I think that this is also a thing. Jonathan Penner is such a an interesting figure in Survivor lore because we've seen Jonathan Penner several times through the years. And and I think that he's somebody that that people really like. And, you know, if, if they bring him back, people usually are never very objectionable about it. They're like, oh, Jonathan Penner's back. That's great because, you know, Jonathan Penner's got a great uh, presence and he's he's a great narrator and all those sorts of things. But but I mean, I will I will always contend that as much as I love having Jonathan Penner on my TV screen, Jonathan Penner's not super great at Survivor the game. And so and, and in this scene, it's just there. Like, yeah, he's got a disagreement with Sari, and that's just fine. But, like, he just sort of burns that bridge. And it's like he's never really going to get it back, you know? And and, yeah. and, and that's that's always a tough thing. You know, this, this is still, you know, we're still only, we're like, what, less than two weeks into this game, and Jonathan Penner is literally, like, cutting out People from the favorites tribe, which, as we know, like a winner is going to come from a favorites tribe because poor dead meat fans walking around being dead meat. But you also have to remember that's all we know Penner can do at this point because he even vocalizes during the merge in Cook Islands that he was basically viewed as a complete bastard by everyone else in the game because he kept cutting and burning bridges. He has no bridges left in his Survivor social game. I, I agree, though, it is interesting that he really did this so early on after the third vote, but I guess it's it's good, I guess, that the fa- favorites did not go to Tribal Council this episode just because the dynamics would probably not be interesting. It seems like the line is firmly drawn in the sand, though something that actually was interesting in this first scene that I do want to point out, I guess I had forgotten in viewing Micronesia in the past how Amy, when I thought about it before watching these episodes for this podcast, thought like, okay, she's pretty under the radar. She really doesn't have an effect in the season, but Amy's actually a a fairly big figure in this next batch of episodes. And it's interesting comparing this first scene where, you know, Sari confronts Amy at the fire, because if we remember, Amy threw away her vote to Sari at the last tribal council to essentially show how angry she was at the way Sari was acting. And we can sort of connect that later on in episode eight, when Sari keeps talking about, I can't trust Amy, I can't trust Amy, I can't trust Amy. If you're sort of connecting this group of episodes, it actually has a really interesting through line of Sari and Amy's relationship over the next five episodes. Well, and that's that's a big reason I was thinking about watching in these episodes, this pre-merge, is that I will always argue that Micronesia has a very strong pre-merge and post-merge. And, and the reason why the pre-merge is strong is because you do have a lot of storylines that, you know, that span several episodes. And there's many characters who go out before the merge, like an Amy, like a Chet, like a Tracy, who still get a lot of time you know, spent on them in these episodes. So I think that's something that we're going to find a theme here going through these, these next five episodes. Yeah. Micronesia is, as as we've talked about in the first uh, podcast here, Micronesia is, I feel, almost the progenitor of the modern era of Survivor. And there are lots of things that I think that the editing really lays out uh, very clearly for people to look at and, and as a template to follow in the future. And I think that you're sort of getting two different sides uh, to continue with Paul's uh, analogy here in the sense that on the Favorites Tribe, you have the dominant alliance within the Favorites Tribe, which is sort of that couplesy kind of alliance that Sari takes the sides with. 
but then also Suri takes the sides with, because as we learn in later seasons of Survivor, you want to have the dominant alliance, but then you also want to have the dominant grouping within the dominant alliance, and you're seeing that come into play here in Micronesia when you've got Suri and Amanda and Parvati being the threesome that is controlling James and Ozzy sort of in that favorites tribe. And you can see there that, you know, the fallout here is that, you know, um, is that Penner is yelling at Sari because Sari is kind of sided with the couples in in the vote and, and not really them. And, and Penner just vocalizes it. And that's the whole thing is that Penner's upset with it. And, you know, Amy had the throwaway vote against Sari and she's mad. But Amy is at least going to try to regroup. Uh, and I think that that's a really interesting point is, is, is watching Amy and her arc through the next couple episodes. And it's especially interesting because it's in no way the same Amy character we got in Vanuatu. Yeah. I, I do remember. But yeah, next next episode or two episodes from now, we're going to get like Amy physically comforting Tracy after knowing that she's down to the numbers. And oh man, this really shows what a heartless villainess Amy Cusack was <laughs> in her time on Survivor. Okay, so let's see. So coming out of this scene, there's two big themes in this episode, and the basically is that each tribe has one player who's totally useless and they all want to get rid of. On uh, on the fans' tribe, we ch- we have Chet here. And this will be a nice, what, five or six episode arc of Chet just being totally useless at all times. And in we- fact, it's laid, out, it's laid out when Natalie, of all people, speaks, I think for the first time all season, and says that Chet is lazy and doesn't even want to be here. And I also love Natalie almost lampshading her own edit a bit by saying, like, I'm just going to keep my head down for a while. <laughs> She's speaking directly to the editors. Just cut me out for a couple episodes <laughs> after this. And then on the favorites tribe, we have our useless Eliza. And I've kind of forgotten about this whole subplot before I watched Micronesia again, where... Eliza's sick, and uh, she's not carrying her weight. She can't do much. And where they be- James just basically sits around and bitches about Eliza. But right she's not contagious, okay? She's not contagious. It's okay. She's not. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that Micronesia, the- went a f- Micronesia went a full 10 days without blaming something on Eliza. That's got to be a new record. <laughs> <laughs> if only Scout had been there. Well, Scott will kind of Scott will kind of get there in a few episodes when we see Penner limping around in challenges. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, so Eliza is sick, and this is where James starts bitching in camp one day. He's like, you know, we should have got rid of Eliza last night. He's not. He's mad that Sari wouldn't vote wouldn't vote out Eliza. And this is one of those fun little character scenes that I remember where James is just complaining about Eliza. And she's like, you know, I'm sitting right here. She's literally right behind him. And James comes back with, I know, but you're about to die. Which is <laughs> one of my favorite little James quotes. And he knows something about death, so I would really heed that warning, Eliza. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're going to die. He, he buries people, yes. Um, it, and it also really sort of shows, it, it's funny because the gameplay here, and, and not just the gameplay, I mean, they're... They're going to talk about it in a couple episodes here with the fan. The fans tribe is talk about how cutthroat the favorites are, and, and and they are. And there are people, you know, Sari especially that are that are just playing hard and gaming hard and being ruthless and all that sort of stuff. But then you still have James and Ozzy, who you know, James and Ozzy both value people who are strong, people who can you know pull their weight around camp, people who can physically contribute to the challenges and see that as like the greatest asset and they literally cannot be moved from that point of view and i mean that's the whole thing you they brought james back many many times on survivor and they're going to bring ozzy back many many times on survivor and it's like they just 
it, it's almost like you know in, in a way i've said that rupert is so consistent in, in all of his returns because rupert never changes he's just the same and it's like james and ozzy change slightly but at the same time they're like i want people who are strong that can you know climb trees that can you know do well in challenges and it's like James has just no no remorse talking about Eliza in front of Eliza because he's like, you don't do well physically in challenges, which is funny because even in these challenges coming up, Eliza is a puzzle beast in these challenges. She is really good at the puzzles, and it's like, you know, that's worth something, I think. I don't know. James is about to be really good at a puzzle himself. Yes, I know, right? <laughs> what, you sick and you got attitude? <laughs> I also I also really like there's a really nice editing moment at the end of this scene where Eliza says, you know, James and Ozzy are so annoying. I kind of wish that they get sicker than I do and have to get removed from the game. And the camera just lingers on James and almost on closes James, in on him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there you go. For people who have not watched this season before, there's a fun little editing foreshadow right there. <laughs> okay, so let's go into the episode four reward challenge. This is the one basically called Ozzy. Outsmarts the challenge. This is the underwater cage, right? Yeah. I don't mean don't mean to wake you up. Yeah. No. The, okay. Okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So yeah, it's it's um, it's it's basically they've got um, it, there's there's a cage. They have to swim out, and then there's like an underwater cage, and inside the cage is coconuts, and some of the they you know they they've got. Some of them have letters painted on them, and some of them don't. And the the whole trick is that one person's going to dive out, go to the cage, and then find a, a coconut with a letter, and then kind of dive down there and, and push. Like, with their hands, they, like, reach through the cage and, like, push the coconut along the cage until they get to the very end of the cage, which is, I don't know, how, you know, what, uh, 30 feet long or so. And it's like you have to kind of push the coconut along, and then you pull out uh, one of the, the letters, you, it bobs to the surface, you pick it up, you put it in a little bin, and there are ten letters, and then you have to put, bring the coconuts to shore, and then they spell out a word, because every challenge has to end in like a word search, or a puzzle, or, or something like that. Um, but yes, Ozzy basically games this challenge, because, you know, he and I think, what, Siska or Eric, or one of those people goes out, I think it's Siska, like, they go out first, and Ozzy basically goes down and finds all of the ten were, uh, coconuts that have letters on them and he pushes them all slowly so the favorites or the fan stride takes a lead because uh, they go out there they get one of their things they push it along the end they put it in the basket and ozzy takes forever to go down there and push all 10 of the coconuts to the front and he does that and then at the very end he'll just plop one out and the next person just comes in and they don't have to go all the way to the end they just get to go to the end plop one of the coconuts out and the favorites tribe gets a huge advantage because of that yeah, this is one of those challenges that isn't even close. Ozzy basically outsmarts it. They do all their puzzle stuff. They get to the end, and James, of all people, is the one who solves the puzzle. But I like how he tentatively approaches it, because it's a ten-letter word. It's triumphant, which is not really what we see in Modern Survivor of, like, a Survivor-affiliated word, or Jeff is one of his uh, his neologisms, or even, like, the last episode had, like, uh, a phrase dealing with tribal council, right? But I just love James just sort of, he's on the puzzle, meaning he's not a strong swimmer, so he's been relegated to the puzzle, and he just sort of looks it over, and he's like, triumphant? Would that be a word? And again, he lampshades it by being like, if I'm the one who gets the damn puzzle. <laughs> Which is funny, but I've said it on sh- in, in the China podcast, and I say it here, James is a reader, right? Like, that's a reader word. You know, it's it's not, you're right, Mike, it's not a, it's not a word that's like a, a survivor a colloquialism, but at the same time, like, if you read, you probably see that word more often than if you don't. 
I really wish it would have been like a survivor phrase and been like, eat the apple or don't eat the apple. <laughs> the two idols gone. <laughs> yeah, so the favorites win the challenge thanks to James knowing his Bill and Ted's excellent adventure words, triumphant. Best. And uh, yeah, and so the favorites win the reward. What is the reward for this one? Uh, chickens. You get that? Rufus. Oh, yeah, the, the three egg laying hens and, a roost, and one rooster. No, Rufus. He comes in the, in the, in the phone booth. Yes, that's exactly. Rufus comes, yes. <laughs> so, the favorites, because they won the challenge, they have to send someone to Exile Island. They send Kathy. Kathy, who's one step from cracking already. And Ozzy decides to go with her. And this is going to be a notorious Exile Island scene. So, Ozzy and Kathy going out now. And uh, this is the one where they get to Exile Island. And Ozzy, pretty, he has a decent idea where it is. And Kathy just says, I don't want to look for it. I'm tired. So, Ozzy's like, okay, I'll go look for it myself. So, there's a pretty good chance Ozzy will find the idol at this point. Yeah, who I just love that Kathy, I don't need to look for it. Who would have yeah. thought? I mean, we knew that trip was obviously traumatic for Sari, but I didn't realize it was as traumatic for Kathy. Yeah, maybe there's only one side of the island she could feel her family on. She knew the other one. She wouldn't be good reception. <laughs> no, she, she had to get the machete to herself to really get a feel for what chop would remove the most of her fingers. Uh, it just It just is so baffling to me. Like, she just goes out there and, she, you know, it's like, Look, I know that you're disheartened and maybe you just want to take a little bit and sit. Like, I don't know the time frame, right? It seems to me like with Ozzy and when, when you get to Exile Island, like, there's the excitement. You get out there and you're like, okay, I'm going to go look for the idol, like, right now, right? And stuff like that. And, and maybe Kathy wasn't feeling it and she was depressed and didn't want to go uh, searching for the idol. But it's just so funny. Like, you literally have nothing else to do on Exile Island but look for the idol. And she just gets there and she's like, nah, I don't need to. <laughs> Um, and you wonder you wonder why the favorites beat the fans on these returnee seasons. Well, uh, even though we don't have Renee Seiler giving us some uh, background info on this season because these contestants don't go on the earlier show anymore, I did take it upon myself to read um, up on some of their exit press to just kind of give me the Renee Seiler-esque you know, scoop on things that were happening on there. And one of the things that Kathy did talk about in her um, her exit stuff, she's like, she's like, I, I thought that, you know, Ozzy was going to find it. So, I mean, I kind of looked for, you know, I, when I like, you know, went to go get water, I flipped over some rocks and stuff like that. But I, I knew he was going to outswim me, so I wasn't going to bother. <laughs> the idol was not within a five foot radius of where she was standing at the beginning. So that was as much well, as she was doing. She's used to favorites pointing out to her. There's the idol picking up right now. So you can <laughs> yeah. see why That's very she'd true. Confused, why she'd have to look for it on her yeah, own. The, the now, ghost of Yao Man appeared in front of her like Yoda and tried to point her in the direction <laughs> of the idol. <laughs> you must go to the Dagobah system. I can't, nah, feel, I can't feel the Dagobah system. No, no, no. Although in the later, the director's cut, they replaced the, the uh, Yao Man with Hayden Christensen. There you go. <laughs> this doesn't even make sense. <laughs> but it's much more attractive. Um, and and uh, now I have this like mental picture of Kathy like, just over by where that you know, lookout tower is on Exile. And she like, turns a rock over and goes, oh, maybe. May- oh, no. <laughs> Damn it. But, but this time, no. <laughs> After a thorough search of the first island... But we we need to yeah. talk we need to talk about Ozzy's find of the idol and his first of all I think we can laugh at Kathy uh, a load for not searching for the idol but I feel like we can laugh at her even more for Ozzy being able to snow her over so much with the idol sticking out of his large hat and her not even <laughs> noticing it. Yeah, although again this does tie into something we we talk about on historians all the time that you should be if you're watching these seasons if you've never really watched them before. It makes more sense to watch them in order as, when they happen as opposed to just jumping around. Because Ozzy even says, 
So I'm going to take a little lesson from Yao Man and make a fake idol here. So, like, he literally references as two seasons before this. So it's one of those things. If you're just watching Micronesia and didn't know the history, you would think you wouldn't even know why Ozzy came up to the idea to make up the fake idol. I do want to ask because the previous two seasons, as you just mentioned, we they went to the two idols, one at each camp, and it was obvious that the producers wanted to change things up, but also at the same time promote this idea of, oh, there maybe there's two idols in the game and they can be played against each other, which is something that will not happen for a long time in Survivor history. But do you like the idea of bringing the idol back to Exile Island and having only one in the game available at a time? If you're asking me personally, I don't like idols, period. I mean, I was going <laughs> to so... say, I'm probably not throwing this out to the best. <laughs> don't go to Mario on this one. <laughs> yeah, just forget me on this one. I think anything that keeps keeps the game fresh and moving it along and you know you know doing something a little bit different i think it was good i I think the addition of having two people come to the island together to work on it and some of the exit stuff i was reading on that like when sari and kathy had gone sir kathy had promised sari that you know if they got to choose who went to exile island that they would send sari again so sari could finish looking for the clues so i think there was a lot of interesting dynamics that happened back and forth she was making um, a big assumption that the fans would actually win a challenge (laughs) Exactly. That was kind of a, yeah, no win there. But um, I, I was fine with having just one um, one idol back on the island. Yeah. I, to me, the number of idols is less important and just more along the lines of because the idol is tricky in a lot of ways because clearly they want the idol to be found. But mm-hmm. there's a there's like a level of difficulty in finding the idol. Like some of those early ones, especially when they use the idol as hidden on Exile Island, like I'm even speaking about um, uh, Panama, uh, 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 yes, you know, and and um, the first Exile Island and Cook Islands, you know, where like they literally, it was, it was on Exile Island, but it was buried. They like had to get coordinates and like dig, right? And sometimes you run the risk of the idols not going to be found, right? Like, in Fiji, did anyone find Yaman's fake idol? Uh, I don't think so, which... I don't think I so, I mean, right? again, like, if we, we mock Jason Siska, but if someone actually got the coconut shell that said I-I on it and tried to play it as an idol, that would be <laughs> a story for the ages. Right. And so, you know, it, it's always really funny where, like, the producers, they saw Yao Man make the fake idol and plant it, and they were like, man, that would be such gold if somebody dug it up and thought it was an idol, you know? And and so, you know, what I like about this Exile Island of bringing two people there is that the idol was, it's findable, but they, it wasn't instantly findable. It's not like, oh, it's just over here under a rock. Like, they actually had to look at some clues, decipher some things, and find it, but it was very findable. You know, and in later seasons, especially in the Russell Hans era, when they're just burying, or they're just, you know, hiding idols in, like, tree mail and just very obvious under this bridge and, and things like that, it got too easy. I like the fact that there's a small level of difficulty but at the same time, you know, finding the idol is, you know, that's the whole point, right? Like the point is not like, oh, there's an idol. Maybe you get it. Maybe you don't. It's that they, if they, if they're, if they want idols to be played, they have to be found, and they, there has to be some sort of easy level to get them. But you know, I, I guess what I'm, long story short, I think that this is a decent amount of work to get an idol. I will say again, even though I don't like idols, anything that leads to Jason Siska finding the stick and trying to play it. <laughs> does indeed make the season better, so I will begrudgingly say, I, I like this setup at least. I have to criticize Ozzy for the name Igor the Immunity Idol, though, because I saw no hump, so really that name does not make sense. <laughs> wow. I didn't even catch that he named it. He called it Igor? Yeah. Yeah. Ozzy's not known for being a comedian. 
Right. So in case, yeah, we, we've talked about it here, but Ozzy finds the idol and then he immediately hearkens to Yao Man and fashions another idol, which, you know, it's weird because he's like, man, I have to really snow Kathy and, you know, hide my own immunity idol, which didn't really prove difficult because Kathy was not into it. And then he's like, I need to now quickly fashion a fake immunity idol and wrap it up in the original wrapping and put it where it goes, which is a really nice plan. I, I get all that. But he, he literally his hasty idol is he just found a piece of driftwood. And, like, he literally carved, like, two eyes and, like, a, a mouth. And it's not even, like, a, a an ornate mouth. It's literally, like, just a line. <laughs> so he literally just whittled three lines into a stick. And he's like, well, I hope this fools somebody. <laughs> I sure hope Jason finds this. <laughs> You're sitting here going, like, there's no there's no freaking way. Yeah, like, Ozzie, there's just I, no way. Ozzy uses much uh, animation skills as, like, those Zoloft oblong shapes that roll around the screen there's just like yeah. two two eyes and a, and a line for a mouth <laughs> wait don't say zoloft around kathy you're gonna get her mad. <laughs> that's a trigger it, word <laughs> it, it is it is the sorriest ass fake idol you've ever seen right like it, it isn't even it isn't even like okay yao man's with the eye eye right like okay that's stupid but like yao man put some effort into there right like you know he he dressed it up, he put some things on there, and it's like Ozzy literally just whittled indentations into a stick and said, yep, that's good. He carves Mr. Uh, Mr. Hanky the Christmas poo, basically. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he carves Mr. Hanky. It's like, howdy-ho, I hope this really works. Howdy-ho! <laughs> I wish Paul would have got that joke. South right. Park is a show, Paul. Ha-ha, LOL. Aye-aye. <laughs> we don't have South Park, South Park or Sharks in Montana, sorry. <laughs> But you do have Britney Spears ringtones, so that's important. <laughs> hey, I yeah. hear she has a new album. I hear it's really sick coming out soon. It's like uh, something about, oops, she did it again or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't wait for that. <laughs> I was going to say that, you know, Ozzy may not be the best comedian in the world. He's not a, like a great social game player. But I do appreciate that he respects the fact that he thinks someone's going to find this and play it. And he, he right off the bat says how hilarious that would be. So he says... All right, do your job now, buddy. I hope someone finds it and plays it. So Ozzy's think, kind of thinking of this as a TV show at this point, which I appreciate. And the TV show is not going to let go of this fact. I'm pretty sure over this batch of episodes that I watch for this podcast, every single previously on mentioned either Ozzy finding the idol or Jason finding the fake idol. They do not want to make us forget about this. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's pure gold later down the road. They're setting the stage. Like I think Jay had said in our intro that a lot of these episodes are setting the stage for stuff later that... This is this is very well telegraphed. This idol fight. All right, so we go back to camp. I see, uh, if I recall, let's see, Eliza was telling everyone, you know, Eliza and Penner are kind of screwed now because they were on Yao Man's side. And Eliza starts telling everyone to get rid of Penner next. And Penner's like, it's embarrassing what she's doing. She's sick. She's scrambling. So that's kind of the mood at camp. It's going to be Eliza or Penner at the next vote. And with that, we are going to go right into the episode four immunity challenge. Another slaughter. Yeah, <laughs> this, this one where they're all chained together in like this big S and M contraption device. Yeah, and, they, and, and then the favorites are able to crush it even at, without their Fiji consulate there, who was able to win the challenge last time. Yes, and like Fiji, everyone is hooking up with each other. <laughs> so they have to solve the. They, yeah, they're all connected. They have to go through this obstacle course. The favorites obviously just dominate the whole thing, and then they have to solve the three word phrase at the end. What was the phrase? I didn't write the it down. Tribe stays intact. Oh, Excellent. And, and yeah, so again, this... if we're if we're counting uh, something towards our tally of Eliza getting hurt in challenges, this one's an interesting one because Eliza was not involved in the hub portion of the challenge. She's one of the puzzle solvers, as we mentioned before. Yet she still gets injured because the hub moving through crushes her up against the big decoder wheel. 
Wow. She pulls Elise. She gets injured while doing a mental challenge. Yeah, but but I mean, I, another thing we're going to talk about, or hopefully, I guess we say we're going to talk about it, and then we sort of you know slide through it, but. Man, a lot of people get hurt this season, <laughs> not just for medevacs, but just in general. Like we, you, you know, Mike has already talked about, you know, Eliza just wiping out. Like I remember the tumbling over the cart <laughs> and stuff like that. But it's like, man, people get hurt all the time on on this season. Like it, it is a very injurious season of Survivor. Yeah. In fact, a lot of people, they'll think of Micronesia. They'll say, oh, that's the blind side season. But it is way more realistic to say that's the injury season. Yeah, this was yeah, the, yeah, this is tied, I think, for the season with like the most amount of people leaving the game, not being voted out between the two medevacs and Kathy's quit. If you want to count Johnny Fairplay in there as well, theoretically, that would make it four. And Chet in there would make it five, which really well, just Jeff o- does. overpowers it. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we showed, totally, sh- totally should have had Papa Smurf here. He would have fit in great. All-Stars 2. Wait. <laughs> this was an All-Stars 2, so maybe they're still Yeah, this over. was it. <laughs> All right, so we're going to the fans. The fans just lost immunity. Uh, in the words of Angie, they're not going back to immunity. And uh, this is uh, with the battle between Mikey B and Joel for control of the fans tribe. I forget how much, for being a fourth boot, Mikey B actually had a pretty big role in the fan storyline between like episodes two through four. Because let's remember, Joel voted out Mary to send a message to Mikey about, like, hey, don't try any big stuff with me. And here he seems totally fine with letting Chet go because, as we learned before, one of the big storylines of the fans' tribe is how much Chet sucks. But now we have Tracy deciding to save her alley and kind of planting that bug or at least embellishing the bug that already exists in Joel's head about how Mikey's going to be gunning for him eventually. And that just sends Joel into a fervor that he decides to take out Mikey right there, right then. Yes, this is, is this the first chapter of the Chet somehow escapes being voted out. Yeah, so but but to follow up on what you said that yeah, Tracy Tracy is definitely one of the better players on the fan tribe, if not the best player, because she she starts taking control here and then she does it again later, where she can basically get Joel to do whatever she wants just by appealing to his ego or or challenging his ego a little bit. So yeah, so all of a sudden, because Tracy goes in there, asks Joel, why are you letting Mikey call the shots? And all of a sudden, now the target's Mikey. So somehow Tracy works her magic, Joel falls for it, and now Mikey is about to get blindsided. This the seat is just so beautiful. Like you yeah. said, she you can just totally pick up on her. Like she's throwing things out there, and he's saying something, and she's running with it. Like the fact that like she he she asked, "Why are you letting him run everything?" And then he asks, "Am I letting him run everything?" And then she just runs with it to the point where she starts mooing and calling him a cow that's just walking <laughs> down the road. It's so great. Maybe maybe Tracy's just a big fan of rent. She decided to channel that response. <laughs> yeah. You're right, Paul. It's it's such a fantastic scene, and it's 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 someone knowing what to do. Like, I, and I think that you're right. I think she was probably throwing everything against the wall and seeing what what sticks. But you could immediately see the change intact from Joel, where like Tracy, yeah, like why are you letting Mikey run everything? And or, and, and Joel's like, is he so so so? If I voted Mikey, would you vote Mikey? <laughs> you know, and they're like. <laughs> Well, yeah, because the alternative is me, so or Chet. So yes, we would totally yeah. vote with you. And you know, she she knows things. She's not some kind of guru or something, but like she just knows. She's born with this thing, so she just knows like what's going to happen. And it's interesting comparing <laughs> so this this logic with 
the next episode when they posit getting rid of Chet again. And in both of these cases, in Tracy and Sari, you have someone essentially thinking, okay, we can get rid of Chet now, but if we're systematically getting rid of the weak, that means I'm pretty much next on the chopping block. So I have to prevent my own future boot by trying to turn the game around. And in both cases, it winds up successful. Yeah, I think actually she plays the game very similar to Sari. Um, I think that's a good comparison there. Yeah, Tracy's one of those people I feel if she'd gotten a little little more luck, things had bounced her way, she would have done really well in this season. Well, Tracy is, I think, one of the few people that you could uh, feel bad for in the sense of, I'm really sorry that you got to play fans versus favorites. Mm-hmm. Because if you had, yes. if, if you were on a tribe of, of newbies and the other side was also newbies, you might have done really well. Um, I can't say that for most of the fans, but I think that Tracy literally has proven that, you know, boy, she got a bad draw being on this season. Well, we I'm sure we can talk about this a little bit when we eulogize Tracy as well, but I believe even to this day, all these years later, Tracy is still considered to be, you know, robbed queen, one of the best pre-merge boots ever. After looking back at these episodes more recently, do you guys agree with that or do you think she's a little overrated? Well, I agree with that in spirit, that she was very good at getting people to do her bidding. She could change things. She was very good at reading people. However, had the fans voted Chet out, they may have done a little better in the next couple challenges. I mean, Chet was really anchoring down everybody at this point. So I'm not entirely sure saving Chet really was the best move in the long run. But it was impressive how she did it. Yeah, I think she's I think she's absolutely phenomenal. Like I said, we'll we'll save it as we get closer to her boot. But one thing I will say also going into this vote here, something that I, I hadn't really thought about the thought about with the breakdown of the fans tribe, and it makes sense because of just of everything that had happened, but reading some of the exit stuff, it really was illuminating to me that you have in this a lot in this group of what it's now one of them's gone now, so there's nine of them. You have um the core alliance is Eric, Joel, Natalie and alexis and they're kind of the, the big four in the middle and then you have two groups of three you have the three older people you have kathy tracy and chet and then you have the other group of three mary mikey b and jason and i never really made that that connection in my mind that what was happening here was there was a group of four and a group of three and the two three were kind of going after each other and this group of four was deciding which group would go and after reading some of the exit interviews especially from joel that really came to light here and i, I don't think the show actually does a very good job of spelling that out for us i wonder if that would help us make a little bit more sense of what's happening on on the tribe because it's, it's always hard to tell exactly who's with who you see it's kind of joel making these big decisions, and Mikey B's kind of the opposition, but it's kind of hard to tell where those alliances break down. Well, speaking of exit press, should we bring this up? The outcome of the vote is obviously Mikey goes home, and I'm sure we want to talk about Jason's whole thing in a second. But (laughs) according to Kathy, you know, I think the vote is initially shown as, what, like 6-3? I think it's like Alexis, Jason, and Mikey all vote for Chet. But according to Kathy... It was initially a tied vote because Joel threw a, did a throwaway vote for Tracy so that he wouldn't technically quote-unquote vote for Mikey, and so it was like a 4-4-1 tie, and that the votes wow. that were shown on TV were actually the outcome of the re-vote, which was 5-2. Yeah. 6-3, to three, right? Yeah, so it ended up, being, to, yeah. ended up being 6-3, to three, but then the votes that were shown on TV were the results of the re-vote, except for Chet and Mikey's votes. Yeah. And I, you know, I suspect that a lot of stuff like that happens on Survivor, where they, they don't, even though fans think we need to see every minute of how things went down, yeah, you just need to see the end result. But that totally makes sense. What, what you, what Kathy said, I'd never knew that before. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we lose yeah, Mikey well, B. Well, yeah. Well, well here's my question to that. Sorry, is I'm not saying that that's not true because I'm all for that being true. 
My my thing though is that isn't that interesting? Wouldn't you want to show that? Yeah, I'm, the thing that's most interesting is Joel doing a throwaway vote for Tracy. But I guess if the editors are really streamlining this edit and they yeah, want to show that okay. Joel was the one spearheading the movement against Mikey B, it would definitely make things a little more complicated if he had not actually voted for Mikey B in the first place. And instead they just decided to sort of truncate it and say, oh yeah, Mikey led the charge against him and led to his blind side. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it streamlines that narrative. And also they've pretty much played up the whole the fans sucking or dead meat. Anyway, I guess having like a, hey, the fans can't even execute, you know, a vote properly. And, you know, even though Chet wants Mikey B out, he's throwing away a vote, which forces a tie. It's like you're already giving them the Dodo music. Do you need to do more? Well, speaking of Dodo music, should we talk about (laughs) Jason? (laughs) Mario should talk about Jason. Yeah, Mario Mario is the best person to talk about Jason. What are you saying? No, oh, I'm just saying. I I think it's like I think I thought Jason was mildly entertaining, but then everything you write about Jason makes it even funnier. So that's why I think you should uh, talk about him a little bit. Yeah, Jason has quite the little derpy storyline. Where it's funny if you if you watch these episodes and just pay attention to him, he's actually not not that bad a player. He's really good at the challenges. Some people seem to like him. He seems to always kind of be in the majority. But yeah, he does these little Jason Siska moments where he likes to come off as a little more important than he really is and. This is one in this tribal council. I think it might be the first time he does that in the season where Jeff says, okay, it's time for you guys to vote. Let's get up and vote. And Siska interrupts him. He's like, no, I need to say something. And he actually like, oh. holds his hand out to yeah. Jeff to be like, oh, you can wait a second. Yeah, I'm going to let you finish probes, but this is Siska time. <laughs> yeah, so Jason says, oh, I have to say something. So he's like, I just want to reiterate to everyone we're trying to keep the tribe strong tonight so he's basically doing one of these douchey moves where someone gets in the the you know the final jury and they try to tell all the jurors how to vote like reed does uh, everybody should respect the game and do this jason's doing that while he's still in the game he's like just remember how we're supposed to vote people so and probes of course is quite amused by this whole thing that this little douchebag would interrupt him and take over his big moment of, of getting people to go vote so Wait, mario yeah, is- i just had an epiphany with you quoting kanye there i mean considering yeah. that jason calls himself a god and does questionable bumbling things later on is jason siska the closest thing to kanye west being on survivor <laughs> he's very close one could make that argument yes jay sees us <laughs> yes so yeah the 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 wacky adventures of jason siska have, have started and this is his first real good one and I think with that, uh, unless you guys have anything more to add about Jason there? No, we, we've, we'll got, we've got episodes to make we'll up, we, and we, we need to keep going, man. Yeah. All right, yeah. So so with that, Mikey B is voted out, and Joel wins the showdown. Again, how it's presented on TV, the big showdown between the two alphas. And Mikey B is voted out, and he's one of those guys. He actually, like I think Mike said, he has a lot of presence. He's in the episodes a lot, even though he's only in it for four episodes. But you kind of forget he was a fairly major character, and he's one of those guys. I mean, there's... A lot of them, you could say, just like with Tracy, if things had bounced his way a little differently, I think he might have done actually pretty well in Survivor. It didn't seem like he was a bad player. He just yeah. uh, was at the head of a losing tribe, and eventually Alpha's butt heads, and other people wanted him out. So, but, but I don't think he was necessarily a bad player. And he had an interesting edit as well, in that even when he wasn't directly involved in this strategy, like he was a pretty good narrator. It makes sense, because he's like an aspiring writer and comedian, so it makes sense that he has that sort of delivery that they kept going back to him for sound bites on the fans' tribe. But yeah, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened had he gone 
that far. Though, as a fellow Mike B, he is the highest finishing Mike B out of him and Mike Barassi so far on Survivor. It's a, it's a low bar to clear, but he has done that. Well, if you ever got on the show, Mike, you don't have, uh, you mean the, the bar's pretty low for you. You have to make it to past 17th place. Just make sure to ask me for advice on how to get far. I'll make sure you don't get very far. <laughs> Well, but then, right. but the, but you're you're Mike. You're married, so that would literally just make it, you know, one third of Mikey B's that have dated Parvati. Well, I was gonna say, uh, I thought you were you were talking about Mary for a second, and Mikey B. Mary. Okay, just my my mind just sort of went to a different place. <laughs> yeah, I thought so too, Mary. <laughs> All right, so we lose Mikey B, and now we go to episode five, and this is the twist episode. Now the season's gonna kick it up a little notch, a notch here. All right, so we start. The episode starts with Siska being all bummed. They, nobody listened to my advice when I told him how to vote. We didn't vote Chet out, so Jason's all all bummed. And uh, let's see, we go to the favorites tribe. This is where they they eat Charlie the chicken, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and this is also where we get the scene where we we see that Ozzy has shared the information that he has the idol with Amanda, James, and Parvati, and they have a little four click, and they're going to be together forever. Woohoo! And it's weird, it's weird that he's like, all right, I'm never going to show anyone the idol. And so you would think, like, okay, that means he's not going to tell people. But then he ends up telling three people and not showing it to them, which doesn't make sense to me in Survivor. Because you would think in an environment where the motto is really trust no one, that they would say, okay, great, you have it. Why don't you show it to me? Otherwise, I won't believe you. Can we take and- a second as well to just talk about the the power situation in this Favorites Tribe? I mean, we're going to get... Uh, rocked and rolled in a minute here with the tribe switch. But again, we talk about the dominant five alliance of the favorites tribe, which is the two couples and Suri. And then you have the fact that Ozzy's telling everyone but Suri, you know, like he's he's telling Amanda and Parvati and James, you know, about about the idol. And, you know, they're the power couple. And Suri is completely not in the picture. And yet mm-hmm. she's driving this tribe. Yeah, it's like... The more I watch this season, the more I'm amazed I have that has Suri is just controlling everything. She is styling on nerds at this point. Like, no, it's so good. She's going to benefit immensely from this switch in the fact yes. that these two couple pairings get broken up so that she can yes. essentially tell Ozzy and Amanda, like, hey, listen, I'm all you've got. You can't rely on James and Parvati because they're on the other beach now. Yes, and, and that's, that's another thing that I'm going to talk about with Suri styling on nerds because a tribe switch can do one of two things to this power alliance. You can either lose your power because you're broken up and you're swapped on different tribes and people can see that and try to pick you off, or you can get other things going on and just solidify it once you guys remerge. And it's going to take a bit of work, but Suri is going to do some masterful stuff here. Yes, and that's one thing that very obvious to me when I'm watching these episodes is jumping out at me that this whole season is basically Ceri's story, and there's like almost no poverty here in the middle of these middle episodes. We have we have little bits of it, but yeah, these next few episodes she's going to be pretty invisible, especially when there's not going to be too much strategy on Iri because everyone's either getting injured or getting into crying jags over there, but. Yeah, usually uh, they don't cut back to poverty that much, and that actually brings up an interesting point, because I know I actually brought this up in my initial interview with historians about how I thought poverty was one of the luckiest winners in terms of circumstances mm-hmm. that the show has seen. So I think it'd be fun if we kept like a running tally of the numerous instances of luck that poverty has fallen into. So we'll retroactively give her one point for Johnny Fairplay quitting. I won't give her one be- that for Sari joining up with them, but I feel like the tribe switch is going to add quite a few points in that column. Yep. 
All right, good. This this will make a very popular podcast as we take down Parvati's <laughs> legacy. I, I don't I don't know about taking down, but you know. Anyway, let's let's Watch keep challenging. Going. Yeah. Mike Bloom well, started yeah. it, by the way. Uh, as we uh, move into this, um, you know, they show up for the reward challenge. It ends up being the swap here. Um, just this is like something that I read in some of the exit press that was just like subbed up how great these fans were. So they're, I think the person's interviewing Joel and they asked him like, you know, did you guys, because Joel was saying, you know, what a thinker he was and they were planning everything out. And they had all these ideas and he said, you know, did you guys anticipate the tribe swap? And Joel said, absolutely not they didn't even talk about it they were all such big fans of the show but they didn't think a tribe swap was even possible <laughs> well i heard joel was thinking about it but then tracy said you know i heard that there probably isn't going to be a tribe switch and then she started mooing and it was all downhill from there <laughs> yeah yeah you know yeah i mean we, we talk about how dubious these quote-unquote fans are but even people that you can tell have seen the show like like eric you know, like like I, I I I totally buy that Eric has seen seasons of Survivor and knows Survivor history, but yet later on we're gonna get some things that Eric it's like, okay, you you watched the show, but did you like intake anything about the show from watching it? <laughs> you know, like I feel like you literally like did you just have it on in the background while you did laundry or something? Like for a guy who like knows a lot about the show, he certainly doesn't know a lot about the show. But we'll get there. And this isn't even the whole Eric Idle thing. This is like in the next little couple episodes. But yes, they go to the reward challenge. They learn that it's not a reward. It's a tribe swap. And they all have to grab rocks. And one person on the favorites tribe is going to be a captain. One person on the fans tribe is going to be a captain. And it's Ozzy and Natalie. And I yeah, love, said, I love, is... I love the comparison and reactions where Ozzy lets out an audible fuck, and then you have Alexis and Natalie like jumping or, or up and down because they know that they're basically saved because they're guaranteed to be to be on a tribe with at least some favorites. Fortunately, yeah. Alexis didn't fall, but whatever. <laughs> it's funny people people keep telling me, oh, when you talk about historians, talk about the rise of Natalie and how she shows just and suddenly shows up as a character, and I'm like. That's even after part two of this podcast. She still isn't going to rise even in yeah. this part. Talk about the rise of Natalie. It's like, okay. Yeah, later. We'll, we'll do. Yeah, so she uh, she apparently she got her first confessional last episode, and now she's inexplicably captain, although I'm sure half the people who are watching this season for the first time had no idea who Natalie was because she's never been shown in an episode. Yeah, and even this with, like, the captains, it's not a captainship, like, you know, in, in other things. Like, think about Thailand, right, where mm -hmm. the captains basically, didn't they pick the whole tribe? Yeah, so this is this is more the Palau thing where it's okay right. you pick someone. It's, right. it's a chain of picking. It's a chain these of picking. Middle and, these middle seasons love the like really complicated way to mix up tribes. Right, and, and this one is you know this isn't even like man woman and, and all this sort of stuff. So basically, they go first. Uh, I don't. I forget. Like I think maybe Natalie gets to go first overall, but it doesn't really matter because right. the way it goes is that Natalie has to pick someone from the favorites tribe. And Ozzy has to pick someone from the fans tribe. And then, uh, you know, Natalie picks uh, James first. He's right? so then, pissed, which makes yeah. sense considering that. Let's remember the last time James was in a tribe swap and how he got yep. pretty traumatized by it and almost went home as a result. So if you're talking about the rise of Natalie, Natalie picks first. She picks James. Natalie is now no longer going to pick like she's done. Right. And so. <laughs> And and then uh, Ozzy picks Joel first, Trump. right? So no, Troy, yeah, Troy, 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 yeah, Troy, yeah, Troy, what? Joel, you know, I'm Joel. 
You know what this this scene really needed was Jason Siska stopping the proceeding to explain to them what they're doing. Like everyone, remember, we're trying to pick the best people we want on our tribe here. Well, this scene also, they really need to play the name game before <laughs> they pick these tribes. For people for being on, for the fact that half these people were returning players, and then you know the fact that this is after four eliminations, usually by this point in the game, everyone knows the names of the people in the other tribe. You just picked out that up. You know, if you have eight people on your tribe still, you're listening and you're hearing and you're talking about these people. The favorites must have been so like whatever about these fans because I think even Jonathan didn't know Jason's name or yeah, something. But he it's called like, him yeah. Blue. They, I don't know his they name. Literally, Blue shirt. They literally, Blue shirt. They literally did not care to even learn these people's names on the other tribe. He's like, you, Blue shirt. And Jason's like, it's not even blue, dude. Like, Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to stop you. Right. I'm going to stop you and poverty. let you know about the color wheel. <laughs> Do you think the fans at this point knew who Amanda was? Yes, because whoever picked her got her name right. I know. So they call back to the first episode. Have they figured yeah. out that she's her favorite now? All right, yeah. So, Amanda, you know, Oz, yeah, they just pick one by one. Natalie's done. And then, yeah, they don't know each other's names. Penner calls Jason Blue. Jason calls Poverty Poverty, which could be explained since probe still calls her that so yeah i love i love jeff saying like don't worry jason i had trouble with it too but he still calls her poverty afterwards <laughs> yeah he says yes. had is in past tense it'd be like have is in present tense <laughs> I, also, I also do like when jonathan gets picked he like because it's pouring outside because if you take a scene of micronesia and you flip a coin it's pretty much 50 50 that it's going to be raining during that scene and you see penner like stumble into the puddle and then he just lets out a like you sure you want to pick me after that which i thought was really yeah. funny and lo and behold who's the last pick it's chet chet is here chet and eliza right yep and eliza and then chettington the fifth Oh, I love it. I love it when Suri picks Chet and then you hear Truck Troy, um, Joel, whatever his name is. He just is so, like, so upset. And then you just have Chet walk over and go, Chetty's here. Chetty's here. <laughs> Which is funny that, like, I know I know, maybe things aren't timestamped, but it's like there's a definite pecking order, right? Like a favorite has to pick a fan. A fan has to pick a favorite. Like if Joel's paying attention, he could literally, like, you know, a minute or so before they get Chet, he could realize that they're going to end up with Chet because of how things are rolling. And it just, it seems like it doesn't even occur to him. And then they're like, now here comes Chet. And he's like, oh, God. You yeah, pick Chet? That's a good question, like, though, because you have to wonder, even though they're doing this chain order of picking, do you think other people, like, whisper down the line what they should do? Like, for example, Ozzy picks Joel. Joel's next pick probably should not be Amanda. But you'd like to think that Ozzy whispers in his ear, like, come on, if you could just do me a solid and send Amanda over, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. It makes me realize that they should just do a Red Rover sometime where they have to run and try to get, break through the people's hands on the other side. That would did, be you saying... do that, did you do that in your fan fiction at some point, Mario? Yeah, I called I it Red Rover. About but... a Red Rover in Alaska, yeah. Yeah, there was no hands being held, though. I just called it that. Is that before yeah, I mean, or after it... someone stuck their hand on a nail for a tiebreaker? <laughs> So, like, do they have to, like, break through the Red Rover in order to be on a tribe so, like, Chet will never be on a tribe? No, Chet would perish when he yeah. ran into somebody's hands. <laughs> he would cut in half. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so, yeah, we did the twist, and now we're going to go into maybe one of the least responsible or most irresponsible reward challenges ever in Survivor history. Cause, so, bas- basically, we get, you know, kill the guy with the ball challenge. Yeah, play the, po- the pointy stick challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a horrible challenge. What, do we get so, four injuries out of this challenge? Okay. So basically the challenge is this. It's it's literally like a weird derivation of flag football in a way where one tribe has a flag on their back 
And then the other tribe just basically has to navigate through an obstacle course in order and, and grab the flag off their back, and they have a minute to do so. Not being uh, – in order to make it worse, I guess, or better or whatever it is, they decide to you know make a perilous obstacle course of sticks and leaves and, 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 and wooden – uh, posts that you can jump over and, and hurdle and go through and go underneath. And then they decide to run it in pairs and not just in pairs, but have the pairs tethered. Yes. Yeah, this is, this is the, the, the defiant ones. Memorial challenge. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is the Chet Welch Memorial challenge is yeah. what this is. This is horrible. It's, I cannot believe that this one passed testing. <laughs> yeah. This is like, this is like the precursor to Schmergen brawl where I'm pretty sure they don't bring it back after this, because as you said, Mario, there are, Three injuries, I think, that occur, at least on camera, during this challenge. One of which results in, you know, a, a medical evacuation. So, safe to say they were pretty much done with cat and mouse after this. <laughs> Alright, so yeah, let's re- let's review the challenge. Uh, there's no Exile Island today because they want people to know each other after the twist. The, re- the winners of this reward challenge win a barbecue. And the first pairing, you have Eric tied to Ozzy. And I bet Eric loved that. And they are trying to catch Kathy and Natalie. And uh, this is one of those where, for the first four rounds, the pursuers always catch the pursuees. They always catch them, even though it's very dangerous, even though at one point Parvati gets a fat lip because she runs into something, and then Amy twists her knee because she goes flying over a barrier, and then we'll get the Chet one at the end. But then, and then Penner gets a huge gash where he gets, like, jungle jungle uh, germs D- inside dengue his... Dengue fever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets a dengue fever. So yeah, literally, there's only five rounds in this challenge, and we get four injuries. That's gotta be I, a record. I think my favorite injury, though, might be when Jason has like a George of the Jungle-esque moment where it's him and James in like round three and they do the whole thing where they're tied together and they run in separate directions around the same tree so they obviously get wrapped around it but you see I'm sure the Foley department like added in an extra sound effect but you see Jason literally circle around the tree and then his face smacks right into the bark of it it's (laughs) granted everyone's getting so injured but it's so funny to watch (laughs) I don't remember that I have to go watch that again thank you It's tough, and it's very weird, the pairings, right? Because Joel pairs with Chet uh, in there, and, and you, you think, like, okay, Joel is very strong, and it's I'm going to carry the week, but it's like you're tethered and you're running either away or toward people. It's like if one is significantly bigger and stronger and faster than the other, then literally that other person is in huge danger. And so it's just <laughs> it's just an interesting sort of, you know, like sometimes they had pairings like, you know, uh, what Eric and Ozzy were like, they're of a, of a similar speed, you know, so like, you know, they can sort of keep up with each other. And it was just interesting to see the pairings where people clearly weren't the same speed or strength with each other. And that's where injuries happen. Yeah. Speaking of Chet. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we get to the last round. It's two to two. Whoever wins this last round wins the barbecue. And we have uh, Parvati and Eliza running. They're being pursued by Joel and Chet. And uh, Joel already not a fan of Chet, not being around him, not being on his tribe, not being within his his his, uh, security bubble. He just does not like Chet, period. And uh, this is where it's going to come out, where Joel is so frustrated that Chet cannot move that he just basically drags Chet behind him in this challenge. And and this is a challenge I wrote about on the Funny 115. It's one of the entries that I love. But Kathy Sleckman has actually told me, she goes, I can't believe 
anybody would write up that scene or think it was funny. She goes, that was the, one of the scariest things we've ever seen in real life in person, this challenge. Just Chet repeatedly getting his head bashed into something or flipping over a wall or or just getting cracked. I mean, just she goes, it was horrifying in real life. And it, she, when she, she said when she saw it on TV, she was amazed that they kind of played it for laughs a little bit. But she goes, it was horrifying at the time because Chet was just getting pummeled. Yeah, we're going to talk at the end of this episode, I'm sure, about whether it was a good choice or not to get rid of Joel over someone like Chet so early on. But it's moments like these that make me think maybe Joel was not exactly the best person to get along with, especially in this scenario where you keep losing challenges. And this might be a sign of it. You know, this is probably a big glaring sign to the favorites of like, hey, I don't play nice to the point of where if I don't like you, I'm going to drag you around like a ball and chain over this obstacle course. Hey, yeah, I mean, communication there. If if he didn't hear it, not his problem. Yeah, yeah. This is the one that ends with the you know Chet is just like concussed by the end of this challenge. He's been hit, hitting things so hard, and and Chet tells Joel, you know, I hit my head back there, and Joel's, I don't care. And Chet sadly, I know. <laughs> it's just one of those most awkward little exchanges, but. But I have defend to defend Joel a little bit. I mean, he's competitive. He's trying to win this for his tribe. I'm sure he's not intentionally trying to hurt Chet. He's just frustrated that he can catch the girls, and he's got some dead weight behind him who who isn't doing much. So Chet's trying to single handedly win it. So, wow. I, me, admittedly, Joel's not a good social player, but it's not entirely. He wasn't trying to hurt Chet. I thought this is a really funny um, um, you know follow up that Chet gives during his exit press here. He he explains to reality TV world. He says, "Well, first off, it was a decision among us." who was going to be paired up with each other, Joel jumped right in and said, I'm taking Chet, which right away the red flags went up in the air. The man wanted nothing to do with me until that moment. All that I asked of him was to please say over, under, through, and I could follow him. The first time through the game, Joel yelled over, under, through, and we did well. The second time was actually a tiebreaker. It was Joel and I again, and I asked him the same request. But knowing Joel, he's so obsessed with winning that he heard nothing, and he just took off like a bat out of hell and just dragged me through the whole thing so the communication was not there i want to make that perfectly clear this is chet from survivor micronesia fans versus favorites the communication was not there i don't know if, i don't know if it was chet though because he didn't sign off with chetty's here <laughs> <laughs> yeah so in one of the more dangerous challenges in Survivor history. Just a horrible idea in general. And uh, now we go back to camp, and Joel is all bummed that they kept Chet, and now Chet's on his tribe. And uh, So the, the Molokals are going to be in trouble because they still have Chet to deal with. Though, we're going to get the big theme over the next few episodes about how Molokal is screwed in terms of tribe members, but not in terms of beach, where you're going to have James and Parvati consistently complaining about how much the I-Ride beach sucks, which, again goes back to this idea of they probably were not doing the fans any favors by giving them the much worse <laughs> beach, apparently. Yeah, you don't realize until you, you have to kind of think back. Because, like, yeah, that, that is a major theme in these middle episodes, how horrible the IRA beach is. So, yeah, it's like the fans weren't even expected to compete with the favorites. I mean, didn't they hear Karen from Palau complaining about how horrible that beach was? <laughs> how they should have stayed at the Oolong beach? I mean, the Malakau beach? <laughs> Yeah, but I also like when they get over there. I mean, it's that whole thing where, like, the fans tribe just never got themselves in a good situation. Like, Eliza's like, you sleep here with those jumpy things? And they're like, yeah, I guess. And their fire's, like, what, a good six feet from the water? <laughs> it's getting washed out. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, there's a great scene where first we're going to go to Malakal and we have the, the pairing of Eric is now all excited because he's with Ozzy, his idol. And then Ozzy, of course, is complaining about Chet. He's just like Joel. He's like, well, Chet's like a big sack of potatoes. And uh, this is where Chet gives the confessional about the chickens, how chickens have a pecking order and they just peck the weak one to death. And I guess I'm the weak ones. So I'll be pecked to death soon. And uh, but yeah, then we cut back to Iri. As, as as Jay said, their their uh, their barbecue is just barely right off the beach. So they have this wonderful barbecue challenge and all this great meat, and it they, it kind of gets spoiled because the, the waves literally come in about ten feet and wash out their fire. So no more barbecue. <laughs> and I love. I think I forgot about how great James is in Micronesia. Obviously, China, I would still say, is his best performance. But you kind of remember him only in Micronesia. as like, well, he flirts with Parvati and he gets taken out of the game. But he has some great sound bites here, specifically in this episode when he talks about, you know, I'm amazed they're still alive, poor things. Yeah. They should be yeah. dead right now. I mean, they're a bunch of dingbats. <laughs> yeah. uh, you think about that. The fans literally did build their shelter and their fire pit right next to the water. I also love when they're like, when they the favorites walk up on the shore and they're like, why are there two shelters? And Kathy has to like explain to them like, oh no, this makes a lot of sense. See, there were three of us that had to build our own shelter and this is where everyone else sleeps. It totally makes sense. <laughs> I have this like I have this like view because we talk about the advantage that returning players have, right? Because because this is this is one of the first times where it really comes into play. Because before Micronesia, we've had we had Survivor All Stars where everybody who came back had played a season of Survivor before, so everyone was sort of you know on this on the same page there. And then we had uh, Guatemala where Stephanie and Bobby John came back, and it's like they were they they had skills that the other people didn't have they had it first of all they had the experience of being there and being in front of the cameras uh and all that sort of stuff but i mean bobby john knew how to work a camp and you know stephanie you know knew how to you know whine and 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 you know be in challenges and all that sort of stuff but like you know you see it as we go further into survivor when we get these seasons where it's it's this half-assed like micronesia is or when you know certain people come back they have advantages in the sense that they know how things work. They already, you know, they're able to hit the ground more running. And, and in this season, though, I, I just would, it's really funny to me because I feel like if you brought any of these fans back, like in the next season and, and there were newbies and they were like, all right, you've been on Survivor before. Tell me how to build a shelter. These like old fans tribe people would be like, I, I don't know. We didn't really build one on our season. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine Eric and Caramon was like, let me tell you about when Ozzy fished. That was great. <laughs> Yeah, Eric. How do what 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 should we do for a lean to? I well, you're gonna want to construct two different shelters: one for yeah. three of you, one for the other seven. <laughs> well, on Ozzy season, he did this. Ozzy. Yes. Uh, the other thing that happens in the scene is this is where Penner uh, medical comes and looks at his leg for the first time. This is this is a. Yeah. A brutal scene to watch. It really is. And it's weird because you would think, like, okay, this gash is the size of what? It's probably, like, half an inch thick. Yeah. But I guess Penner brings up that, like, I guess it goes down to the muscle. And I think, I don't know, it's just the stitching it up and having Penner wail in anguish that makes it really, really hard to watch. I completely agree. Well, yeah, yeah he's yeah. getting it's He's getting deep. sewn together with no Novocaine, basically. Yeah, they, they're salining it out. I mean, you can see, like, the saline, you know, and everything in there cleaning out the wound and then they're they give a couple stitches but yeah i mean that's the point mike is that it's not it's not wide it's just it's deep and then they try to stitch it and they get it all together and that's the whole thing they're like well let's hope it's not infected lol you're in a jungle well, i think ozzy was in that movie right. not wide but deep 
<laughs> in the jungle. Um, and I think that's what Jonathan attributes the the infection to is the fact that uh, he has this puncture hole here and it doesn't get all the gunk out, all the junk out. And so sewing it up is actually what keeps trapped the infection in and that's ultimately what leads to, to his oh, having God. to leave the game. Yeah, when we, when we see the pus-filled abscess next episode, that is, I don't know, I don't know if that or Mike's hands might be the worst thing I've seen on Survivor so far. <laughs> Let's point out this is a Micronesia, a very popular season. People love it. It's the scene with the most pus-filled blisters you're ever going to pus-filled injuries you're ever going to see. All right. So we go back to Malakal. Uh, they're doing well. They won the challenge. Or no, wait, they lost. They lost. Yeah, Malakal lost. But this is where Ozzy and Joel, it's like a meeting of the superpowers where they come together and they decide who they're going to get rid of on each side. Like, uh, I can get rid of Chet. You can get rid of, was it Suri? And I, Eric even says, oh, it was like watching a meeting of superpowers. They were, they were like negotiating. But, but this is where Eric's warning light should go off in his head. Yeah. How many times is this a successful thing in Survivor where two people get together and go, I'll give you this piece if you give me this piece? Like, are you serious? But even though Ozzy is discussing with Joel who from his alliance he can get rid of, don't worry, guys. Ozzy is definitely not the leader of this tribe. Not whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know why people think I'm the leader. Yeah, Eric, Eric, it's interesting that you say that, Jay, that Eric seems to be in awe of Survivor more than he actually, like, interacts with it. He just kind of watches it and enjoys it. That's the one thing I notice as I'm watching this. Wow, look, there's people negotiating. Like, you know, you're a player, Eric. You can kind of nose your way in there. Well, speaking of watching, should we talk about how Amanda watches a shark swim into the net and then catches it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we go back to IRI, and this is where uh, the... Uh, the favorites. Oh wait, this is on, she's on Malakal. I'm still getting Malakal, mixed up on yeah. who's on what. Yeah, she's on Malakal. Okay, so at, on Irai we have all the favorites helping the fans finally build a shelter not next to the water for some reason. So we get that. Then we go back to Malakal. Yeah, and so Amanda catches a shark, aka a shark swims into a net that she picks up. It was more epic than that. Uh, let, okay, Montana, please sell it. Please <laughs> tell us the tale. <laughs> well, whatever it was, whatever she did, she really turned on Ozzy because, you know, for a guy like him, he thought it was pretty attractive. That is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's a weird circumstance because he's like, she like wrestled a four foot shark or and, you know, that's, <laughs> she she so observed guys, a shark swim into the net coincidentally. <laughs> that's really hot. <laughs> yeah, well, I love it. He's like, that's really attractive to somebody like me. And you're like <laughs> a shark fetishist. I can imagine when they're having sex, Ozzy has to look at the Hawaiian sling the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where Amanda says she's from Montana. We don't have sharks in Montana. I can just imagine people being like, man, I, I, I just I, I don't seem to have luck with the fellas. You know, what 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 sort of skills, what what, what sort of things, what, what are interests? What, what are things that guys like? Well, they really like it when you uh, catch sharks. <laughs> OK, here's something I have to ask, Paul. How does she not? She's never seen a shark before. She's from Montana. How does she know what a net is? There's no way you guys have nets in Montana. We have rivers. Hello. All right. Just checking. I wasn't sure about that. It was an excellent retort. I mean, I'm sure she had to catch all, you know, I mean, like we all do. We catch our own trout before we can eat every night. So I'm sure <laughs> that came in handy. Well, she's a nature guide. I'm sure she's out there roughing it every night. And she, knew, and she, at, least, she at least learned what a net was from last season, remember? When even though the birds caught all the fish for them, they still showed them how to use the net. 
Right. Oh, I mean, here you catch your trout in a net and you throw it on your horse and then your sister gets really into that horse and you have to get your <laughs> sister away from the horse because she's being kind of inappropriate. Hey, Oz, and then you I hop mean, on the horse you and you a, bring you, catch a, you catch a 200-pound horse, Ozzy might be really into that. Yeah, she wrestled a horse. That's hot. <laughs> oh, boy. I hope those two sisters never got together with Ozzy around. Oh, boy. Wait, maybe that's why Ozzy and Amanda broke up. He, he cheated on her with her sister after she found out her horse wrangling skills. Maybe. <laughs> How would you like to be the shark? Like, dude, I got caught by fucking Amanda. <laughs> I'm the predator. I'm an apex predator of the sea. I got caught by fucking Amanda. Yeah, we, like, who are you? I thought this was the favorite speech. I can imagine like the shark mom being like, "Well, we lost our two sons. We had Bradley who got massacred by Tom Westman with a machete on the beach, and then we have William who happened to swim too close into a net that was just sitting on a beach, and a doe-eyed <laughs> zombie creature picked it up and dragged it away." <laughs> He's like, man, would it rather have been caught by Karen? <laughs> At least she throw that... it into the fire and end its life right there. <laughs> I now have this, like, mental picture of Paul being like, hold on, I have to go catch dinner. And he, like, walks out of his house and goes to the nearest river and, like, opens his mouth and, like, the spawning salmon, like, jump up. <laughs> it's like Crocodile Dundee out there in Montana. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, so there's our, our Montana shark interlude. So that's going to be the title of this podcast. That's pretty much it's obvious now at this point. Sharks in Montana. Okay. Episode five, Immunity Challenge. This is where, uh, this is the first cha- the Immunity Challenge after the twist, after Amanda has wrestled a shark. And uh, this is where you have to throw the rocks at the ceramic tiles and drop them down. And of course, because that's what you do, everything ends in a puzzle. We have to make a puzzle here. I, I like this puzzle, though, and I'll admit, I feel like Fans vs. Favorites does a pretty good job of diversifying the puzzles. I feel like nowadays, especially on Survivor, it's usually like a slide puzzle, or put these numbers in order from 1 to 100, but this is an interesting one in that it's not or forming... Or that tree puzzle they keep doing. Yeah, exactly, but this one isn't necessarily a complete picture. It's where... Jeff outlines it here. The pieces that are next to each other, the colors need to match up. So if there's white on a tile, it needs to match up with white right next to it. So it makes things a little more complicated. Jonathan helpfully points out later on that like there, there is a larger pattern to it. It's not as scattershot as you may think, but this at least requires a little higher level thinking than modern survivor puzzles. So you can't just yell out triumphant and hope that's the word answer to the puzzle this time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so yeah, so this is where they have to throw the rocks at the tiles, and if you break it cleanly, everything will drop down, and if you don't break it cleanly, it'll kind of half break and get stuck. And of course, Jonathan Penner, during the challenge, his tribe, they keep getting these half hits that don't knock the whole thing down, and Penner starts getting all pissy. This is one of my favorite Penner moments. Um, Let's see what's happened here. First, Malakal breaks all their tiles first, and we hear Penner just say, Bull, we say, bull, bull! And then Jeff snipes back like, you guys have the same tiles and pieces as they do. Yeah, and this is, I just love the running jokes. It's, I, I'm not really a fan of returning player seasons, but the best thing about returning player seasons is sometimes you have callbacks to former seasons. Like, if you remember Penner and Probst annoying each other during challenges, like Jonathan getting annoyed by me way back in Cook Island. So you have it in this one, too, where, where Penner, he throws one and the, the tile doesn't break, and Penner's like, I mean, my ass! <laughs> and Jeff is like, 
you need to stop bitching and start throwing, which is great. <laughs> and it's funny because there's another one that happens in Philippines when Penner comes back later that we'll get to eventually in t- five, ten years where they bitch at each other during a challenge. This is a fun little running joke. But, yeah, this is Penner at his all-time best. He's just bitching this entire challenge. James thinks that's the funniest thing ever. James is cracking up every time Penner lets out some expletive or something. And, and Probe's visibly annoyed that Penner is whining. So we get to the end, uh, and this is the one where they have to solve the puzzle, and and it's uh, Chet versus Eliza, if I recall. Yeah, they put the two most useless people up on the platform <laughs> to just yell at them. Yeah. And uh, this is the one where Penner says, uh, he's telling Eliza, he's like, there's a, there's a bigger pattern, there's a bigger pattern, you have to figure it out, and and Eliza kind of figures it out, and they solve the the puzzle, and so Irai wins immunity. Yep. Eliza's good at puzzles, I'm telling you. She is good, yeah. Well, it, it, it doesn't help that, again, Joel, they're going to make the argument this episode that, like, yeah, Joel's a big hulking guy, but he really wasn't good in this challenge. And it's kind of true in that he kind of actively sabotages his tribe's puzzle making because he decides to start side coaching and vehemently disagreeing with Chet specifically, which confuses everybody. Yes. And although Joel is probably not the one I would turn to for the puzzle mastery, just to- a small qualm there. Well, I heard Tracy tried to whisper to him that the puzzle was already solved, and he just decided <laughs> to go from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so Iri wins immunity, and Ozzy and the Molochals are going to Tribal Council, and this is the one where, right off the bat, uh, Joel and Eric, everyone agrees, you know, Chet was so worthless in that challenge, Chet's terrible, and Joel's like, you know, I wanted Sari to go first, I wanted the fans to lose one of theirs first, but are the favorites to lose one of their first, but screw it, Chet's so bad, I will volunteer to lose one of my allies' Chet. So he basically says that, and uh, this is where Joel says, Chet's a wet rag, he's a ball of goo. Those are some nice, <laughs> nice little phrases. I don't know how, why he says that when there's two other balls of goo that exist on someone's chest in this <laughs> tribe. <laughs> he also says there's zero honor in keeping Chet around. Yeah, uh, if went back to medieval times, medieval I think we'd times. kill him. <laughs> yes, yeah. ourselves. Yeah. We would have to check with Coach on the honor scale there. I'm not sure exactly where that falls. <laughs> and then we get some good Tracy quote here as she tries to turn the tide here. Uh, my favorite line of hers: let's take his ass out. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it stems back from the 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 power man conversation that we alluded to earlier in the episode where, like, uh, Ozzy and Chet were swapping chess pieces and joel was just basically you know because ozzy's like well you know Ceri's weak and i can get a Ceri to Ceri. and you know joel's like ah, i don't like chet and you know basically joel was like get rid of Ceri first and then i'll volunteer to get rid of chet so that we stay because they were four four on the on the tribe mm-hmm. four favorites and four fans and joel was like well get rid of Ceri first it's like a sign of good faith or some weird bullshit that i can't even really figure out and then he's like yeah okay and then and then i'll get rid of Ceri. and so this is the whole thing where he's just like you know what i hate chet you know what we we can take the hit first i'm gonna let you do that and it's like oh thanks joel awesome (laughs) way to go yeah so joel goes to oz he says all right we'll flip it up i'll lose chet and this is where Ceri pulls some of her magic and Ceri's like well, if they're getting rid of the weak people, I'm one of the weak people. I don't like that. She's like, let's get rid of Joel. So Sari goes and starts swinging things around. And uh, who does she go? She goes, talks to Amanda. She talks to Ozzy. She's like, you know, Joel is a much bigger threat. He's trying to win this game. He's really competitive. Like, Chet is weak. Chet, you can get rid of him anytime you want. Like, he's never going to be a threat. And somehow Sari totally turns this vote around on Joel to the point that to this day, I don't think Joel still knows why he was voted out. He is absolutely shocked when he gets voted out at Tribal Council. Well, it's 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 tough, and and it's 
it's a weird blindsidey sort of thing. And that's that's why people like Chet are such an interesting uh, commodity to have inside Survivor. And and that's it's a reason why somebody like Sandra does so well and why I say that Sandra usually will do well on Survivor. Like Chet probably should have should have left this game within the first six days, right? Because you know, he just can't he's he's weak in these challenges and he's not offering anything um strategically and all that sort of stuff. But the problem is is that he didn't go home and he's still here. And mm-hmm. so now it's very easy to basically say, ah, Chet's a weak link. We need to get rid of Chet. But it's like there's Chet's not winning. Nobody likes Chet. Chet can't do anything. And it's like, you know, you you're just like there's other fish to fry. Like we don't need to get Chet oh, away. Don't say right that too now. much or Ozzy's gonna start getting hard. Yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> my bad. You know, and and it's like someone like Sandra who who, you know, and, and I know that, you know, we all differ on the on the Sandra train and all this sort of stuff. I like Sandra as a character, A plus character, but it's like Sandra lucked into a lot of things. But the problem is that you get to the end of the game and Sandra is sitting there with some undesirable other people that did a lot of screwing over in the game, and Sandra's just like, Look, I I cursed at every single one of you every day. And that's who I am. And they're like, Well, yeah, can't can't argue with that, right? And it's like Chet probably doesn't have that uh, personality within him where he's going to stand up there and say, yeah, I cursed all you guys every day. It's like, no, Chet, go, go away. So, like, Chet is so not a threat, but by that point, he is he is, he's actually someone that you sort of don't want to mess with, kind of. And the thing is, is that Joel blinds himself because he hates Chet so much that he's like, let's get rid of Chet. And then it sort of... Uh, shows the sign to Sari that Joel wants to get rid of weak people and Sari's like, oh, so he's eventually going to want me out. This is not going to fly. And then Sari gets to turn the whole thing on its head. And yeah. you, you really can't make this shit up. And I just love how poetic it is that twice previously, Joel had, in effect, saved Chet from getting voted out. First with the Mary vote, then with the Mikey vote. And what's the thing that screws Joel over it's them deciding to keep Chet because he was weak. It's such like a... I think Joel has a really fantastic arc for there being only five episodes of him on this season, and it could not end better. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just one of those things where you don't piss off Sari, you don't frighten Sari, though. That's the worst thing you can do in Survivor. <laughs> well, and, and this is another... With Micronesia being the 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 precursor, the progenesis, the 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 start of modern Survivor, this is not an, a new concept to Micronesia. The fact that they want to keep around this, you know, more weak character that, that doesn't have a lot of uh, agency in the game. You know, because, I mean, go back to Survivor Amazon with Shauna, right? Like, this is not... This is not a new concept. Somebody that's just kind of morose, not doing super well in challenges, not really adding much. And it's just like, you know, if I go home, I go home. Like Chet has basically said several times, like, well, you know, they're going to peck me to death and I'm going to go home. Like I don't Chet is not sitting here in these challenge in, in these confessionals going, boy, I'm really get the raw end of the deal, but I'm never going to give up. I'm not going <laughs> to. I mean, Chet's just like, yeah, it looks like I'm going to go home eventually. And it's like, you know, Chet has like zero everything going on and so the 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 concept of keeping him around uh, to use as a pawn for your vote or, or things like that that's not new but the fact that like they use this and blindside a bigger threat this early like pre-merge in the game is something that's sort of it's not new like just introduced here in micronesia but it's getting solidified here yeah it is a very odd place for a character like joel to be voted out you're really five episodes in that's yeah. not too far from where hunter went yeah, and I, I will say that I think one of the weaknesses of Micronesia, admittedly, is the fact that 
we're going to lose a lot of these big fan characters earlier on. I mean, we lost Mikey B, who I said before was a surprisingly big character for his four episodes. We just lost Joel, who might be the biggest presence of the fans. We're going to lose Tracy, who we said was an interesting player. We're going to lose Kathy, who's a really big character. Not to say that we, you know, we're still going to have like Siska and Eric when it comes to the merge, but all the interesting fans, or at least a good amount of them, are going to be eliminated by the time we get to the merge. Well, and, and I'll argue... Mary also. <laughs> and Mary. I'll argue as well that I don't think Eric is super interesting. Like he, you know, the 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 move, the infamous Eric move that is going to come up way, way later is interesting, right? But it's like, I'm going to point out, I, I, I am just, I'm just going to rail on Eric for a little bit. Like Eric is so clueless in these episodes. And I guess people find it endearing in a way, but it's like, it is painful to watch at times. Yeah. At times he's even worse than Siska, which I know is stretching it, but it's, at times seems like Siska knows what's going on more than Eric does. But anyway, this is Suri is in trouble when when it comes to things like this because when you when you tribe swap and you lose you know because Suri was was in a in a sub alliance of three in an alliance of five and you know when she came over here she only two only two others in her alliance came over with her and so they're down in numbers and they also have like another favorite on their tribe that's not totally with so like Suri is vulnerable and especially because Sari is you know physically weak and stuff like that if someone like Joel gets his way Sari could go home and so all of that hard work that she had to kind of set herself up in a dominant alliance and a good sub alliance in that alliance and running the 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 show it can get blown up in a tribe swap and I think Sari sees that but what she's able to do is she's able to use Chet and Tracy as well as her own alliance to form you know to get Joel out and get the upper hand again it's really well done so are we going to eulogize Joel? Anything to say about him? So it's really I hit my head back there. <laughs> I, I don't care. Um, I, it's really interesting looking back on Joel's popularity at the time. People might not remember this, for, but for a good while, Joel was considered like one of the least popular pre-merge boots ever. And obviously, <laughs> as time went by, I think that evil veneer kind of wore down. But like, he was getting the nickname like Truck Waffle, which was you know Lex's nickname in, in All Stars was Twat Waffle, and he was considered like one of the least liked Survivor contestants ever. So people really, really hated Joel and like threw up their hands in victory when he left, probably because of the way he was treating Chet, who. I would imagine a lot of Survivor fans might be resonating more so with Chol, with the what's going on with Chet of going through periods in your life where you've been pecked on incessantly as opposed to being the pecker. Uh, and so I, I could see why Joel would be hated, but I, I looking back at it now, he's such a fun character for these first five episodes that I can't hate him too, too much. I think also some of his lack of popularity came from it. It kind of seemed like he was a bad sport about everything. Uh, some of his exit press, he seemed very kind of confrontational with with people he was talking to in the finale, the reunion show. Jeff kind of asked him a, a question, and he kind of just shrugs it off like, um, yeah, whatever, like that's your interpretation of things. He just kind of seemed to be a bad sport about everything. So I don't think that helped his case at all either um, at the time. Yeah, I've never really had strong feelings for him one way or another as a character, but he's... I was surprised that he was that hated, that that he doesn't really strike me as someone who who would uh, inspire that level of emotion out of people. Like, he's just kind of a minor character in what, at the, at the time, I thought it was a minor season. Like, okay, well, half-ass, he's a character that didn't get very far, didn't really do much. But he was had a big presence in it, and he was clearly, I mean, it was kind of stacked that the, each tribe had the one big, strong alpha male for the challenges. You had James, and you had Joel, so those were the one on either side. He was kind of the alpha and the omega of that. 
So, yeah, I'm surprised he was that hated because I always thought he was fine, you know, for a fifth boot. He was fine. He got some good uh, quotes in there. He had some good storylines. He was clearly in the episode a lot more than some of the other fans. So I, I, I didn't think, have a problem with him. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you sort of hit on something, uh, uh, Mike, in, in the sense that um, when you are that, I mean, most of the people, most most of the people that play this game, men and women, are mainly alpha for the most part, and and not so much beta. But but especially if you are male and you are large in stature, right? Like very muscular and big, uh, and stuff like that. Like, you know, I think that you know, survivor fandom, especially like the very dedicated online survivor fandom, you know, they tend to gravitate towards people that they identify with. We've talked about this many many times in the show, and I don't think that there are a ton. There are some. But I don't think that there are a ton of uh, very diehard Survivor fans that are that are the size and build of Joel, right? And yeah. so, you know, not a lot of people who are watching the show go, man, I really identify with Joel. And so when you are very big and large in stature, I think that people want to see some sort of, like, innate friendliness and or growth, you know, like James or, or, or something like that. And it's like Joel didn't really do it. Joel was just, you know, big and very competitive and you know, very straightforward in his competitiveness and, you know, did, wasn't really apologetic about it. And I think that that did not resonate very well with people. He's a firefighter in real life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things. How bad could a guy be if he's a firefighter? Their whole lives, they save people. Well, I mean, admittedly, he's, he doesn't come off super warm and fuzzy on the show, but it's like, man, how could you hate a guy that much when that's what he does for a living? Well, I'm assuming if he goes into a burned house and someone is knocked out, he's just going <laughs> to persist on dragging them through the burned house until he makes their way out of there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I like Joel. I mean, I think Joel was a perfect character for this, this season, and he probably got about as far as he should have. But he, I mean, he could have done much better. Again, so like you can say that about a lot of the fans on this season. But, you know, had things bounced a little differently, he would have probably would have done decent for himself. All right, next one. Let's go. But, yeah, let's go. Now we got our first double boot episode. Let's start, let's start really... shedding people at this point. Yeah, exactly. D yeah, double boot. I boot yeah. lol. Yeah, exactly. These were not intended to be double boot episodes, but we're going to start losing a lot of people here due to injuries and other assorted things. So, and, and do you, I don't want to derail this too much, but obviously we're going to be talking a lot in this podcast about production making impromptu decisions based on things that happened in the game. Do you think that they were planning to throw like at least one di double tribal council in there? I don't know if you found anything in your exit press, Paul, but it seems like they would have put at least one double boot from their own making in there, but they just sort of happened to walk into a situation where they have four people go home in two episodes, and so they didn't feel like they needed to do it. Yeah, nothing that I came across, but I mean, from I, I think this is another reason why we could say that, you know, that the show has people leaving the show in ways, you know, non-traditionally, but we still don't get saddled with an episode where you have the whole episode and there's no tribal council because someone gets medically evacuated. You still get these interesting exits from the game, without having to have a double uh, you know, tribal council episode or an episode without a tribal council. So I think it's really uh, a nice way to, to lose a lot of people without sacrificing the momentum of the show. Yeah, and, and I always have a thing like that they probably now, especially with the way more modern seasons have come out, the fact that usually there's somebody that does leave the game you know, due to a medevac or something like that. It's like they, I think they just sort of expect that they're just going to lose somebody organically. And and then if they don't, they're like, damn, nobody dropped. I guess we need a double tribal council. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so we go back to uh, our, our Malakal here, and 
Eric was shocked last night by the Joel vote. He didn't see this one coming. And so Eric and Tracy are kind of uh, stuck here knowing, well, without Joel, we're kind of next. Like, they're not going to take Chet out. They're going to take us out. And this is, again, I have to say, this is one of my wife's favorite scenes. She loves this one where Tracy lays out the plan that Eric, you know, we're screwed. And Eric, in all his outrage, says the wimpiest little, damn, that pisses me off. So (laughs) this was the cut moment from the Funny 115 2.0, right? No, this is still on there. Oh, okay. I was Eric the Tree Sprite is what I was thinking of. Wrong yeah. Eric. Yeah, no, this is the one my wife has always laughed at the scene because Eric, you know, he's he's supposed to be pissed and he goes, damn, it's the funniest little thing if you're looking for it. So yeah, Eric is outraged that he and Tracy are done now. And, and this is where Tracy and Eric are all kind of scrambling. And, and this is where Amy is going to become kind of a big character. That horrible bitch pulling Tracy aside and saying, it's going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. Just a, a vile woman. I know. Yep. Don't be poop pants. Yeah, and and this is this is this is sort of where I lose it with Eric as as on my rewatch. Like I always thought very fondly of Eric. Like oh, Eric, you know he was good kid in challenges, and you know then he had the the moment with the immunity idol that he's you know always going to be very famous for. But it was tough because you know Eric is a competitor. He's very physically strong and, and does well in the challenges and stuff like that. But it's like they vote out Joel and, you know, Tracy's just like, you know, now we've given the favorites the 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 advantage and they just talk about how, like, they just took out Joel. Like, I think they thought that Joel was strong and stuff like that and they 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 orchestrated the, the, the taking him out and I think they're like, oh my god. You know, and they talk about how, like, all these favorites are ruthless. Oh, they're so cutthroat and ruthless. And Eric's basically like, well, if this game is is reverted to lying and cheating, then I guess I need to do that. And I'm sitting there going like, "Hello, you you're a fan of Survivor." Like pretty much and like, to be fair, I paid attention to everything that Ozzy was doing and really nothing else. <laughs> that I mean, that pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> like I just sit here and it's like, you know, and it, it, you know, there there are people that have not seen seasons of Survivor that go on the show and they're like, "I'm ready to lie, cheat and st- steal and win a million bucks." It's like yeah, that's the game. Like, that's literally the game is to do all of this stuff to, to get a million bucks. And I, I like, you know, when people are like, I'm, I, I've seen all the episodes. I, I, I watch the show and all that sort of stuff. And they're like, geez, everyone out here is lying and deceiving each other. I guess I guess I'm going to have to get on board with that. And you're sitting there going like, yeah, like, <laughs> that's it. That That's do, were you, did you not think, you know, it's always like, oh, well, my season, I'll play with honor and integrity we'll all be honest to each other it's like no just it just made me like so mad because it's like especially mad because they're fans you know and, and and they go it's like you should know better yeah the fans same with me that they're constantly surprising me how much they know and how much they don't know yeah the eric thing it's like eric has only watched the first six episodes of borneo and maybe part of australia and he knows ozzy maybe he watched ozzy's porn film or something but then there's a scene later where they kill a rat, and Siska's like, hey, they haven't eaten a rat since the first season. I'm like, how do you know that? Siska, <laughs> Siska's a fan? Are you kidding me? So it's funny, it's constantly surprising me with what they do and don't know. You know, it, it's like, look, I, I, you know, I usually like to take people at their word and, and, and believe the goodness in people, and that's sort of how I choose to live my life. And so, you know, always people ask me, how would you do, Jay, on Survivor? The answer is I would never go on. I've always said that. But the other thing is, is that I could totally see myself going on Survivor and like totally believing someone and getting absolutely snowed and, and they vote me out and I didn't see it coming. But by the same token, I wouldn't like in my exit interview go, wow, I can't believe people were lying out there to me <laughs> because it's <laughs> yeah. like, 
of course they were lying to me. It's Survivor, right? Like, you know, I was an idiot and believed somebody. But, like, it, it just drives me nuts when people go out there and go, wow, people are really, like, using deception and, you know, not telling the truth out here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor guy. It just started this season. They were, you know, it, it was always pissed. honest until this season. And you know what? It pissed him off. It, it pisses me off. <laughs> Though, again, we, we do have a little bit of characterization here in Amy that's really going to be her arc over the next few episodes of her saying, well, I could theoretically join up with the fans to break up this couple's alliance. And I also do love her saying, the more your poop pants, the more likely you're going out, because uh, unless your name is Bruce Kanagai, that turns out to be true. <laughs> well, Bruce was never poop pants. That's the problem. Exactly. He, was, he wasn't poop pants, but he still went out. So really, that logic is does not Still went out. out. Yep. I've never heard the word poop pants used as an adjective before. It's a fantastic uh, little bit of uh, diction from Amy there. I, I teach kindergarten, so I did not know that was an adjective, but interesting to find this in Survivor. Yes. Poop pants, all right. So, yeah, so Amy's kind of in the middle. She's like, I was never really in with that whole Aussie group, so I'm not really, I mean, I'm not part of them. So, yeah, Amy's kind of right in the middle here, and it's going to be much to her detriment later, which is going to be an episode that's very hard to watch. But, uh, so yeah, so that's the situation on Molokal. On Irai, people are concerned about Jonathan's leg. And uh, he's uh, he's hobbling around. It looks real bad. And it's going to come to a head here in a minute. But that's kind of the storyline on Irai. That and Although, James, uh, James is a little chauvinist here in him saying that he doesn't want to be left with a bunch of girls, which... I don't know. Does it? Does it? Is it a little mitigated by the fact that we're going to see as soon as like a couple of episodes from now, the girls deciding to join up and take out the larger men? Does that make it a little better that James decides to refer to them like this? Sure, I'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to die. No, I like. Yeah. James has an interesting way of phrasing things. I can see he explains that like it's not as misogynist as it sounds. He's like, I'm not the most social player. I don't do well with persuading things. So all these women playing social games, he really has no chance. He knows it. He's, he's perfectly honest about it. All right, so we're going to get to the reward challenge here. This is the one where you have to, it's the uh, James Miller uh, Memorial Knot Tying Challenge, where you build the big shelter, and then the other tribe has to break through. You have, you have to, uh, there's a bridge they have to go through, a little tunnel, and you're trying to block it with all these pieces of wood and rope and stuff, and then, then after halfway through, they switch, and the other tribe has to try to break through the knots that you tied. Again, the James Miller Memorial. And then, luckily, luckily we get to see a little bit of Natalie. Oh, wait, no, she sits out of this challenge. Never mind, her breakout hasn't come yet. <laughs> And yes. I will say, I, I forget if we talked about this during our Palau podcast, but I really like these types of challenges where it's it you're it's not as creative as like the SOS challenges, but it allows them to at least be a little creative where they're able to deviate from the norm of the challenges by saying, you know, you can take different strategies like it with it. For example, Malakal takes the strategy and ends up being the losing one of, oh, let's concentrate all our efforts on the beginning of the blockade. That way... They can really have a hamper of getting through so we can find a lead and get through to the end. Whereas Iride decides to, you know, stretch things out. I think they slowly realize that you could essentially break this challenge by just sort of gliding along the top of it and not having to crawl through it whatsoever. So there's a lot of interesting wrinkles in this challenge. And I know they brought it back a few times since, but it's, it's always one that I've really enjoyed. Yeah, and this is like Penner's last stand as well, where he's like, even though I can't run, my knee's injured, I can do very good things. I can help with these knots. So this is going to be his last stand here. Even though he does fall down at one point, and Jeff exactly. on it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the whole thing, because the first part of the challenge, 
The second part is they have the the you know they they have a time limit, but part of the time limit is that they have to go out into the water and swim out and collect all of the various materials that they can use to make their uh, tunnel barrier in this challenge. And like you know, they all run out to the shore, and some people are going in the water to get the pieces, and then some of them are going to be there to drag it on shore. And like they all run out there, and you have Jonathan Penner like limping out there with like the one leg that's completely straight. And it, it's it's totally like a a callback to like Scout from the end of Vanuatu, <laughs> where he's yeah, everyone, and then there's Penner limping. Well, just remember in Palau, we had James Miller fiddling with his dress for half of the challenge. That's Penner well, basically. Was, hell yeah! But then you know, then then you get that then you get that scene where like Penner is taking some of the pieces and trying to drag them up there, and he just takes a tumble because he's he's literally trying to do it on one leg. He falls on my ass. <laughs> But he also has kind of a badass moment here where, again, Ira sort of figures out how to... They get through Malakal's initial blockade, and then they figure out, oh, we don't need to actually, like, get through the entire blockade. Like, I know there's a, there was a challenge on Australian Survivor where they did this, but in addition, you had to, like, drag a cart behind you as well, so you really had to clear everything out from the tunnel. Here, all Ira needed to do was just clear a path along the top for them to crawl through, so you have, like, Eliza and Jason get through. Then you have Penner in this kind of badass moment, like, dragging himself backhand with only using his upper arm strength through this entire tunnel that's probably the length of, like, that cage in episode four, so, like, 30 feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great challenge, and it's there's no goddamn puzzle at the end, so it was nice. But, yeah, it was great. Irai wins despite Penner's bad knee, and it was a big moment, and they win. And we forgot to mention the reward for this challenge. You get two native Micronesians are going to come out to your, your camp and show you how to live, and, and they're going to have the... the very authentic Micronesian names of Joe and Edwin. <laughs> it was funny. I, I totally forgot, you know, and it's the thing you forget because every time, you know, you look back toward Malakal's beach, you're like, oh, that's the old Oolong beach, right? Like, you know, you keep, if, if you're paying attention and you're sort of going there, like you totally remember that they're totally at the same place as Survivor Palau was, right? And in Palau, didn't, wasn't one of the rewards that people came out and taught them how to fish? Like, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, because also remember, yeah. let's Karor decided for the new adventure, and they went for the the worst beach. So yeah. that totally matches up with Irai. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so he, like, yeah, they're clearly at the core beach. It's clearly Joe and Edwin again, the same two that come out. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then <laughs> and, and 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 you know, I got I forgot that. Right. Like, even though every episode I'm reminded that we're at the same place as Survivor Palau, and they were like, yeah, two native. Uh, uh, Micronesians are going to come out here and teach you how to fish. I was like, oh my god, sweet, more you know, new culture. And then I was like, oh wait, it's the same guys, and they're doing the. <laughs> so they're then that, doing that, that, same that, that begs technique. the question: When they went back to Panama, why did Rafa not come back? It's egregious. <laughs> and where do these guys, Joe and Edwin, are these guys on the on the payroll somehow? They just keep them around, or is there like a a Home Depot in Palau where they can get day laborers? And Joe and Edwin are just hanging out there. What? What I didn't realize till this watch is that when they come in, poverty greets them and says, "Are you married?" Yes. Really uh, helping that image, Parv. Really helping that image. <laughs> All right. So Ira wins the challenge. They have Joe and Edwin coming out to their camp. Although first, we are gonna get a uh, before the the Micronesians come to camp. Penner has to get his leg looked at again. And oh boy, do we get a look. Oh, oh yeah. Jesus. Close That's going to be stuck in my memory for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Here comes the pus cam. It's so big and so like abscessed that like I literally didn't know what I was looking at. Like for the first time I was looking at it, like I literally was like, "Oh, it looks okay." But then I was like, "Oh, wait. Oh. Oh no. Oh god. Oh." <laughs> it's all that. Oh, and, okay. And this scene is hard to watch for a variety of reasons. One of them being, I mean, 
I it, the returnees for Survivor Philippines are a little WTF on paper, but they kind of make sense in that Penner's exit, Mike Scoopin's exit, and Russell Swan's exit of the myriad of medivacs we've had over the course of Survivor. Those are arguably the three most dramatic, but Penner's is mainly because of his reaction. I mean, this is a guy who leaves his heart on the table and in this game, and you could just see the moment his heart breaks when he finds out that he's going to be leaving the game, that... You could debate the claim that he really had this game unlocked and had everything figured out, but it was devastating from my point of view to be able to watch this guy just go through so much grief knowing that he has to leave the game through not his own circumstances. Yeah, this is a very sad scene, and it's one of those things I've I've never been as invested as in Penner as a character as some other people are, but this scene, it, it would be hard for you not to feel for him. Like he, This is a great scene. It's I mean, not not the optimal optimal outcome, but it's it's a very well done scene, and like you said, you can see the moment Penner's heart breaks, and the doctor has to describe that, explain to him that, you know, this is you going to die, your, yeah, you going to die, well, yeah, <laughs> sick yeah. and you get attitude. I thought the doctor was, it was funny because a lot of, even more now, like in, in later seasons and things like that, sometimes the doctors are very demonstrative, like, no, get him out of here, you know? But like with this one, it was not a matter of, you know, oh, I'm leaving it up to you. But it was funny because the doctor's basically like, well, it's not better and this needs surgery and it's serious. And Penner's like, I'm not quitting. I'm not leaving. I'm not telling you I'm leaving the game. The doctor's basically like, you, all we can give you is antibiotics. They are not working. You are now in danger, you know? And yeah. you're like, Oh, you know, it, it that's it. Well, I think we need yeah, a I, mean, sec- say- I think we need a second opinion of the Australian variety to really seal the deal. <laughs> you, you Jonathan, uh, uh, I see you have an abscess on your leg. Can you poop, mate? <laughs> is the poop, poop is the poop coming out of the leg? <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to get poop pants. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeffy's got poop pants. That's 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 a good sign. That's a good sign. But uh, this uh, this infection, it's a uh, this infection's gonna be pooping its pants soon. You know what I'm saying, Jonathan? <laughs> this this infection is the anti Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> Jay's Australian doctor character. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is the one where we had the. For people who haven't seen this scene in a while or don't remember it, yeah, it's, he's got a gash. The infection's going way down, and the doctor literally does tell him. Your life could be in danger. If this gets into your bloodstream, that could be fatal. I mean, this is one of the most more serious injuries they've had on Survivor. And we make. And, poop and I know too. he highlights his. He uh, he talks about how he was in the hospital for something like twenty days afterwards, something almost three mm-hmm. weeks, and it was really an intensive rehab process um, yeah. after this this injury. Well, yeah. you know, even the next episode, or maybe later in this episode, when Sari says. If they pulled him out of the game, he went right into surgery. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, Sari knows this stuff. She's a nurse. But they, they have enough time, and it's not in enough danger for him to have the poetic shot of him standing on a boat's deck looking out on the world. Yes. It's our last shot of Jonathan Penner. We will never see him again until Philippines. <laughs> You do have some interesting moments here, though, where, like, Jeff, the antagonist, decides to begrudgingly, like, reach his hand out to Jonathan to shake it before getting on. Yeah, the BFFs. I'm sure they've always been best buddies. Constantly at each other's throats every single scene, and Jeff shakes his hands like, goodbye, my friend. You know, it's funny, because, you you know, Penner Penner clearly, you know, I, I like Jonathan Penner very much. Uh, as a character, um, you know, thank you for all the time you've been on, on Survivor, Jonathan Penner. But, like, you know, 
it's funny though because you know he, he loves he loves out being out there and he loves playing but he's just like i had it this time i could see daylight and you're like oh honey no <laughs> yeah, so we we see earlier no. on in the scene that like Eliza and Jonathan's big plan was like, oh, we're gonna swing the fans. But I mean, looking at what Parvati does, granted, a couple of episodes from now, but don't you feel like they might have had a, maybe a bigger tie with Kathy? But don't you feel like Natalie and Alexis would have more of a pull with people like Parvati than with Jonathan and Eliza? That those personalities really just wouldn't mesh. So, oh, so you're telling you're, you're telling me that people would not. Uh readily align with abrasive Eliza and abrasive Jonathan Penner? That's a nouveau wait, concept, wait, I know. Wait, what? <laughs> it's not like Penner's ever mutinied on somebody. Come on, you gotta trust him. <laughs> it's not like Penner has like literally told off like the entire favorites tribe and therefore has to rely on the fans and you know anything that he does at that point on, yeah, okay, Penner, you're done. Like you you're done. It's okay. We love you. You were done. But that being said, if we're going back to Parvati's luck column, do we put... Because some people have said, oh, Parvati got really lucky that Penner left the game, considering that if he had made the merge, which he probably most likely would have, even if IRI had to go to Tribal Council, he would have been one of the lead opposition force against Parvati. Do you think, though, it is as lucky as some people would say that Jonathan went out before the merge for Parvati's game? I think Penner would have been a non-factor in the, after the merge. I think Penner would have been a non-factor, but what I will say is I think you can chalk it up into a luck category because Penner is either a non-factor or he's an agent of chaos that happens other things, not for his direct benefit because he's not going anywhere, but maybe he causes some other thing to happen. But I think that it's probably more of a non-factor than a factor. Well, where there was hope for Jonathan, it was something that was not highlighted on the show, but it's something that both Kathy and Jonathan talked about in their exit press, was what a close relationship they had and how they were in talks with uh, Eliza and Jason to team up and, and take down Parvati, you know, and obviously not knowing what Parvati would have done with those girls. But then again, this is also a play on contingent on Jonathan staying in the game and Kathy not having a breakdown and leaving. So yeah, it's a think real unsturdy much. machine with those two cogs in it. <laughs> Because, yeah, because you're sitting there going, like, if Penner is fine, if Penner does not hurt his knee and he's 100% for these challenges and stuff like that, and he stays in, okay, he's got a relationship with Kathy. And so if he's there and there's hope, maybe Kathy stays in the game. But, like, you're you're going with a lot of maybes. And that's that's ultimately why I don't like what-ifing Survivor because, like, what if this happens and then this and this? And it's, like, sometimes, like, you know, you can what-if something. Like, something does seem like it's either a right turn or a left turn. But when you have to start really skipping the stones here, like, if Penner's healthy, that means that Kathy is, you know, happy and staying in the game. It's like, really? Is that... Okay, you know, then you're really trying to to reach deep here. I could also theoretically see the Micronesia merge if Penner makes it playing out a lot like what happened with the Philippines merge where he's like immediately targeted, but this time he doesn't have an idol to save him. So I could see him going out in like the Eliza spot where he just becomes the easy pickoff as the first boot after the merge. Right. And then if Eliza stays in the game, is she able to stir something up or is she just next? Because, you know, then, you know, once once Eliza goes at the merge, then, you know, like people like Ozzy are going to start to fall. Like, you know, stuff happens. Right. But if they've got more fodder is do they go for more fodder? And if the fodder is Penner or if the fodder is Eliza, do they concentrate on that? And then does that like I don't know. You know what I mean? But you're really trying to grasp at straws here. Yep. All right, so let's go to uh, IRI camp where Joe and Edwin show up and they teach them some Micronesian things. And the first thing they do is uh, they take them out to the woods and they build a coconut crab trap. And if people are not familiar with coconut crabs, those are those big, scary-looking crabs that can grow to, like, the size of a dog. Like, they're big. 
So if you've ever seen one of those monstrous crabs, like on an internet meme or something, that's what they're catching. The one they actually catch on this episode is a very small one. Edwin picks it up and shows it to you. But those are those big, scary-looking crabs. And they're supposed to be quite delicious because they mostly feed on coconut, so they have very sweet crab meat. It's all, like, coconut-flavored. So this is a big score for them. They, they put these little coconuts out in the woods. They drive a st- uh, stick through the middle. So basically the crab comes, tries to eat the coconut, and that's the trap. You come and catch them later, so... If only if only Jason had found the idol beforehand, I could imagine Edwin like just grabbing it, and be like, "Oh, here's a stick. Let me put a coconut through it." <laughs> just like, where'd my no. idol go? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's what they do, and then they go out and they teach him how to fish, and uh, they have a stew that night. I think uh, Joe and Edwin show the IRS how to catch all this fish, and and they have a big old stew that night. And I think uh, one of them says, I forget who says it, but there's like 25 different types of fish in their stew that night. It's like the most delicious thing they've ever had. Alexis. Alexis, there, of course. No wonder. I what a great soundbite from Alexis. Truly, <laughs> she is a real motivational narrative force of this mm-hmm. tribe. <laughs> okay, so on IRI, everything we lost Penner. It was very sad, but Joe and Edwin are feeding us, so everyone's happy. Go over to Malakal, and it's still split, kind of in the middle, with the fans versus the favorites. And Amy, right in the middle, she tells us she's like, "I'm getting tired of all the the fan bashing." You have Sari sitting around, Ozzy sitting around, saying, "You know." I'm tired of teaching these people Survivor. They don't know what they're doing. I, I have to basically show them how to do everything out here. So Amy is starting to get tired of this. And this is one of those things where Sari doesn't always get the nicest edit here. I mean, you, you think she always gets a positive edit. She kind of comes off a little petty here where she's complaining about the uh, the fans. And Amy, right in the middle, Amy, very warm-hearted person. Again, it's quite different than her Vanuatu edit. But she's like, you know, I feel bad that they're just bashing on him. And maybe I'll just vote with the fans next time. So Amy's right in the middle here. And there's an interesting... It's kind of the meanest... Go ahead, Paul. Right, I was going to say about the Suri stuff. I was going to say some of the meanest little remarks here from Suri talking about, you know, it's really annoying that you have to play this game and teach them how to play it too. Mm -hmm. I also love Suri's comment of like, you know, it's Tracy was a builder and she lost the challenge. That's embarrassing. If there was an operating room challenge and I had lost, I wouldn't want to go back to my job. Let's put a pin in that until the final immunity challenge. Maybe we can revisit that statement down the line. Never even thought about that. That's good. All right, and now we now. Oh yeah, I, I forgot that. Uh, and all during this time, Siska is out at uh, Exile Island, and Chet is out there with him. Chet and Siska have been sent out, and now Ozzy gives us this great sound bite. He's like, you know, Jason's out there on Exile Island. I hope he finds my idol. He goes, from what I hear, he might be naive enough to believe it's real. It's well, like and Ozzy. And before you even get before before you even he calls get. It coming. Before you even get Siska's finding the idol, you get like the juxtaposition because, you know, they got sent to Exile Island before we had, you know, everyone because when Penner was getting looked at for medical, everyone was was watching. Right. And, you know, but Siska and Chet don't know. And then they get out to Exile and Chet's like, yeah, I stepped on something and and maybe it's infected. I don't know. I'm just going to rest. And so, uh, Paul, you probably know about this from your exit press, but, I mean, I'd heard, like, rumblings of rumors that, I mean, Chet had gotten the injury, I think, from, like, episode three when they were doing the, the tackle challenge, that there was, like, coral that he cut his foot on. And some had said that, like, Chet didn't actually want to leave the game, that Medical did, like, an under-the-table, you you must leave, or else, you know, they didn't want to do two medevacs in one episode, so they just asked him to essentially quit the game and let everyone vote him out. Did, is there any legitimacy to that from what you looked up? 
Um, yeah. So what he what he was talking about was that that the 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 medical team said that because of his his foot was so swollen, all these problems that he would be pulled from the game. Um, but that if he that he kind of spun it that he said, well, can I just go to tribal council so I get you know the the full experience of being voted out? But that he said that had he voted for Ozzy and Ozzy went home or something, then Chet would have been pulled from the game right then and there. So it does sound like there might have been some pressure on some ends that he was going to be pulled from the game, so just please vote him out so it just is easier for the show. That's interesting because this episode does kind of factor into some stuff down the road. Yeah, because, hmm. I mean, th- what they're going to talk about later on is there really is going to be a coup being planned against Ozzy, and that's really going to be like the MO of the Malakal tribe for the next few episodes, which will kind of quell until the final nine when Ozzy does get booted. But, yeah, it would have been... I mean, I feel like the fandom would have been in an uproar that as much of an asshole as Ozzy is this season, to have him go home at the hands of someone like Chet and then have Chet have to get medically evacuated the next episode would have been pretty offensive for Survivor fans at the time. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I can totally see that. You know, it, it's they play it for fun that, you know, Chet's, you know, Chet's like, oh, I've got an injury. I need to take it easy. You know, it, it, it's just Chet did not get a good edit. I mean, in in, in this show and, and, you know, you can argue whether he should have or he shouldn't have and stuff like that. But I completely believe that story that, you know, his his foot was bad and they they needed to pull him and you know, they, they under the tabled it, but I think you're right. I mean, I think the thing is, is that Ozzy is such a fun character in the sense that like, he's so impactful on the game, you know, the way he, his physical presence is and, you know, finding the idol and just camp life and, you know, him being demonstrative in, in interviews and stuff like that. And he aligned himself with Parvati and with Sari and Amanda and James who were the dominant alliance in the game. But it's like, Ozzy is not really a threat to win Survivor ever unless there's Redemption Island. So, like, you know, he's a fun character because he's so, like, yeah, he, you know, he's he has all this attention. He's making these, you know, demonstrative plays. Oh, I'm the, I'm, you know, he he's the leader and he's bargaining with Joel. But it's like, he's not really ultimately, like, in charge and or winning. And so it's fun to have people gang up on him and take him out because he's such an easy character kind of to kind of get that going. And it happens later on. But yes, we have we have Jason Siska finding Ozzy's idol. Oh, yes. So funny. And I love I mean there's so many things to love about it. First, the the really derpy music that plays in the background, as if the editors are saying, like, point and laugh at this guy. And you know, Jason being like, Well, trying to rationalize it, being like well, it's not much, but you know, it's it's a carving of a piece of wood with a little guy on it. So I guess it must be an <laughs> idol. And then I love him. There obviously is a myriad of way to hide idols after you find them and bring them back to camp. We have Ozzy, of course, sticking his idol in his hat. Jason decides to stick this big foot-long stick just right down his pants. And I can only imagine what the conversation <laughs> was when he walked back to Chet with a giant wooden boner sticking in his bathing suit. <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> uh, well, I do. Uh, I, I pulled a funny quote from Chet when he was talking about this time about Excel Island. He, he, I wasn't clear. He was saying that he knew for sure Ozzy had it. I don't know if he just assumed this or he just was under the impression that Ozzy had it. So he told Jason Ozzy had it, so he wasn't going to look for the idol anymore. And then uh, obviously Jason does go and look for it. And then Chet uh, told the interviewer, "I knew Jason would not believe me when what I was telling him." So he could just take his sorry ass all over those islands all he wanted. I knew he wasn't going to find it. Yeah, we all, we also forget that like before the switch, 
I wouldn't say Chet and Jason had a rivalry, but like right right at the beginning of episode five, we have you know Jason being worried and Chet saying like, "Well, we gotta get rid of Jason next." Sorry, dude. So it's clear that like Chet was not a fan of the fact that Jason was so open about how Chet needed to go. So it, I think the you know the the conflict between them might have led to them going their separate ways here. The thing that I love about the idol find so much is that Jason's just so happy. Like he's like sweet. Like this is like the happiest moment of his life. And it's just you know, oh, this isn't gonna end well for this kid. <laughs> it's just such a wonderful setup and we're gonna have a payoff much better down the road. But yeah, this I is just, one of the all time great survivor storylines. I wanna know what the cameramen were like doing. Cause like he's talking and he's just like, Well, it's it's not much, but it's it's the hidden immunity idol. I'm so excited, and you I'm like, see, are they the, like? You can see the camera shaking from them trying to stifle laughter. Right, you, you can see. Like, are they like holding their like hand up to their face, like trying to like stifle laughter? And he's just like, what? What do you get? Was this good footage? Did I do good? <laughs> Jay, such an underrated line there. It's not much. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's not much, but I guess I guess I better I better stop the idol makers next time and lecture them about the strength in creating idols. Yes. <laughs> oh, Siska. It's, like, it's, it's, not, it's not the most lifelike face. I mean, it really is just, you know, two circles and a line. But, you know, I guess in modern art, you know, the interpretation of it, you know, it, it does kind of have a pastiche. This, you know, is, this, is, this is what happens when you live out in the bush and you truly experience Survivor. You find ornate carvings such as this. Maybe one of the Make-A-Wish kids made this. <laughs> All right, so now we have an immunity challenge here. This is uh, episode six immunity challenge, and this is the one where you're supposed to uh, hold the poles and people walk on the stepping stones to the other side. Supposed and to. And this is where I ride just, the what? I was going to say supposed to. <laughs> yeah, supposed to. This is the one where James just brute forces the challenge and is like, well, I'll just put someone on top of the pole and carry it by myself all the way across. So James basically breaks this challenge, and I ride destroys Molokal. Yes. So yeah, it's it's the you have the two poles, you're in the water, and they have to use the poles to navigate. And it's like they have to take two tribe members across the mm-hmm. the, the the gap, and then they all have to then climb onto a platform and and be at the top of it, uh, with nobody hanging below and and everybody in the air. And so the thing is, is that right away you see like Tracy's going for, um, God, what tribe is she on now? God. Molokal. Yeah, Molokal, right? So, like, Iri's doing, but, like, you just see them, like, um, Eliza's just, you know, just crunched up, like, like in a fetal position, like a, like a vertical fetal position kind of at the top of the pole. And, like, James is literally just carrying the pole, and everyone's just steadying him in the pole. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. literally just James moving it, and everyone's steadying James. And he gets Eliza across. And then they would have won by, like, I, I think they would have won by the largest margin of victory ever in a challenge had Parvati not fallen right at the end when he was taking her across. and then But they had enough time to for, for, for Parvati to go back all the way to the start, put Parvati back on, and have Parvati make it across. And, like, Tracy had only gone, like, five more feet in that time. Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, they needed, they needed a truck. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I would say, like, I... I can definitely see that like i don't know if getting rid of joel was really that big of a dent to them considering that this might have been the only challenge that ended up being based entirely on strength so i jeff being like malakal not taking the strategy that i ride did like jeff they can't physically do that the the strongest person might be what like ozzy or eric and they're both twigs at this point 
Yeah. It's not like they had coach or anything. <laughs> yeah, so Irai wins easily, and Mala calls going to tribal council, and this is where Chet starts asking people to vote him out. He's like, I have a, I had a, a piece of coral, cut my heel, it's all infected. They cut down, you can see a big angry red streak kind of running up the side of his heel where there's some kind of infection underneath <laughs> We we missed his uh, his really accurate description of an exit on it. He says that he got a piece of coral stuck in his foot and and it really hurts like like really bad. <laughs> well, I mean, he is an amateur surgeon, considering that he asked for a fish hook to try to puncture <laughs> the wound. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> yeah, o- Ozzy is doing some real naughty shit with fish hooks, so I'm sure he'd be into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I love the scene here where you know Chet pulls everyone aside, says, "Please vote me out," and then. They cut to Ozzy in a confessional and it's like, Chet was going anyway. I'm not sure why he had to tell <laughs> was us there, that. Was there any other question about it? <laughs> yeah. And this is the thing where there's like the coup d'etat where they're all talking about, we could overthrow Ozzy. Amy's going to come over here. Chet, uh, Eric, Tracy, and Amy, we all vote for Ozzy. This is the one chance. Chet, don't quit. Don't just before you leave, vote out Ozzy. Then you can do that. Then it'll be good for us. And it's it's a very frustrating episode to watch because it totally could have happened too. Chet could have easily just voted with them. They all take out Ozzy and then Chet could have quit later, but it, it does change the story a little bit when you hear Paul's insider information that the producers basically told him how they wanted him to do it. Thank you, Renee. Yes. Good job, Renee. I also, I mean, I kind of wish it would have happened though, considering that Ozzy claims a tribal council. If he gets blindsided, he would get naked and jump off the pier, which I'm assuming is an idea he took from one of his previous videos. But that would have been really funny to watch if Ozzy gets voted out and he just starts stripping down in the middle of tribal council and runs off <laughs> naked. Yeah, which which is always like, you know, if Ozzy's like, if I get voted out, I'm gonna strip naked and jump off the pier. It's like it's like literally telling me like, boy, if I get voted off a of survivor, I'm gonna go eat a double cheeseburger. Like that that is that a punishment? Is that is that something that's bad for you? Like that seems all right, you know? I bet Eric would have liked to see him get naked and jump off a pier. Oh my god. Yes, <laughs> I know. He, would. he must have been so pissed he didn't get to see that. That pisses god. me off. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Motherfucker. He he didn't get naked and jump off a pier. He he lied. Are we doing lying and deceiving in Survivor? <laughs> I guess that we're really lying about the times we're off. getting naked. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> all right so we with that we lose chet and uh i think most people who watch the season say good riddance chet didn't really bring much to the show although no he I, did, shut up no mario stop <laughs> he did bring a lot he was so entertaining for the if you're gonna have someone on the show who is gonna be such a physical liability <laughs> and like and like not like have a chance of winning like at least be like chet like give us something to laugh about give us someone who's gonna get dragged through the course and get his head smashed and get a piece of coral stuck in his foot like this is what we need from people who are we know are not gonna win the game you're a sadist paul i'm sorry i almost told you i'm sorry do, do you do you not fashion. remember paul's fun fact that you love to watch old people fall down in survivor africa this is a long time coming yes this is <laughs> this is close enough but I thought you were only talking about old women. I didn't know it, it, I it extended. Close, close enough. Hmm. All right. All right. Well, then I guess a good thing that Chet was there to satisfy Paul's bloodlust towards the elderly. <laughs> Anybody else have any strong feelings about Chet that aren't from Montana? I mean, well, Chet, you almost died. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, it, well, does, he does cover. He's he represents a wide swath of personalities that existed on the fans tribe. Though I know we sort of talked last week about how, or not last podcast about how. We, you may complain about the idea of fans versus favorites, but the fans were a somewhat on paper interesting 
swath of personalities. I include Chet in there, considering that he is, you know, he's a pageant coach. He's obviously a little more effeminate than some of the other members of his tribe. And that lies in comparison to a big hulking guy like Joel or even someone like Mikey B. And I thought it was like a fun storyline, at least, to have him be the, for lack of a better term, heel to everything else the alpha males are doing and being the one who ends up, you know, inadvertently sending Joel home and him being kept around over people like Mary and Mikey. But sort of like what you said about Joel Mario, I feel like this might have been a good place for him to go because I'm not as much of a sadomasochist as Paul, but I I certainly enjoy like stuff that Chet was bringing to it in terms of storylines. But I couldn't imagine more episodes of Chet. If he made to the merge and presumably got dragged to the end, I couldn't imagine like, 12 13 episodes of chet this season <laughs> no we we met the the chet limit like that's it's a very good time for him to go out i, I feel like you know and and, that, and that's the thing is that sandra has the ability when she gets to the end to get people to vote for her but like think of all the people think about like katie and palau right where like she gets to the end and everyone's just like katie did you do anything like I, can you imagine if chet was in the final tribal council like, I, I feel like they would be even past the point of saying, check, did you do anything? Like, they'd literally just flip him off and, and just say the F word, like, long and slow and loud for, like, two minutes and then sit back down. Like, at that point, it's just, you know. He's very good at selling his own, like, crap. Like, when uh, earlier in the season when he was talking about how he botched that challenge where he couldn't swim and stuff, and he said that you know, he just came back in to give someone else another chance to do it or something like that. And Jeff's yeah. like, I think you're giving yourself a lot of credit here, Chet. So maybe you can pull something off. Maybe. Or 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 the converse is that his opening statement in Final Travel Council is, well, I really thought I'd be voted out by now. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, come on. You know that Chet would be a corpse at that point on day 39. <laughs> yeah, when you're talking about dragging him to the final... Or final two, they literally would have been dragging him like Weekend at Bernie's behind him. Yeah, it would have been like, you know, the, the Chewy Gon and Suk Jai dummies that they carried around the island. They'd be doing that like every day. <laughs> Throw back to Chewy Girl. Yeah. Chewy Gal. Yeah. Uh, poor Chet. Do you think we'll be seeing Chet on a returning season at any point? Maybe. Well, I think we should. I think we should save a special spot for him alongside Papa Smurf in a little thing called All Stars Two. So at this, at I'll this be point, waiting. I feel like that All Stars Two would be like putting these people, these like weak rejects, in a van and dropping them off like somewhere padded and safe, and say like, "Okay, you're playing Survivor now," and like turning the camera on but not really filming anything. That would work. Paul would watch that. <laughs> oh, as long as there's some old ladies in there that can tumble around, I'm there. <laughs> All right, so we're done with episode six, done with the Chet episode. Let's go on to an, go on to another double boot episode. This is where we're gonna we're gonna lose Kathy and Tracy. Yeah, that that, right. whole, that whole triumvirate that we thought was like, oh, interesting that these outcasts were able to like worm their way within the main alliance. Oh wait, they all got taken out in a row over two episodes. Well, that's done. <laughs> yeah, turns out that building your own little three person shelter might not be a good idea. <laughs> All right, so uh, we start with Molokal and uh, Tracy and Ozzy are fighting over the chickens. You can always tell it's going to be a good episode when you start with a fight over chickens. This is one where where Tracy wants to kill the, the chickens, and Ozzy's like, no, they lay eggs, blah, blah, blah. It's this big old uh, recurring resource argument, whatever. Anyway, and then you hear, and Ozzy's, you know, Ozzy's just so good at, you know, not being condescending and stuff. Why don't we just kill them all? That's what he <laughs> yes. tells Tracy. But the main thing is we're going to start building up a storyline here that Ozzy's kind of a little arrogant and in charge of everything. Like, yeah. it's going to cost him down no, the road. No, Mario, is... he's not the leader. Haven't you heard he's... him? 
<laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is the Aussie storyline. It all kind of downfall starts right about here. Yeah. And, uh, it's tough yeah. though, because, you know, we've talked about it before with chickens on survivor and it, it's always a weird point where, you know, they're like, Oh, it's an egg legging chicken. The chicken can lay eggs and we get everything going on. And you know, for the most part, those chickens are too stressed and not in their right environment and they don't lay eggs. And so you're like, you might as well just kill the chickens and eat them. But, you know, Ozzy's like, I guess they're laying, you know, each one's laying an egg a day. So, like, I guess there's three eggs, which, you know, hey, that's pretty good, right? Like, that's 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 not the worst thing. So he's, you know, Ozzy's like, I'm fishing and we're supplementing with some eggs and you get that sort of thing. But it's like, God, you know, you probably just want to kill one of those chickens every once in a while. And and the the problem is, is that Ozzy knows that Tracy's probably not long for this game. And Tracy's like, I'm hungry. We should kill a chicken right now. And Ozzy's like, dude, we'll kill chickens later if we have to. I think they, yeah. I think they missed the secret scene where Tracy wakes up one morning and finds a tiny egg right next to the chicken and she goes ballistic. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> you laid the smallest egg possible. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So uh, on our ride, we go back and it's just been raining the last couple days and everyone's complaining about the rain. They don't like the weather here. Kathy's having a rough time. And James is starting to get annoyed by his basically it's all female tribe for the most part, except him and and Siska. Siska's over there. And so James like, yeah, these girls, they can't handle the weather. It's annoying. And we're not even getting wet. We're in a cave and they're still complaining about it. And this is where Kathy, Kathy is really starting to lose it at this point. And this is about the fourth time this game she started to lose it. We hear her say again, this is the stupidest thing she's ever done. And uh, she's thinking about her washer and her dryer. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I love the priority listing. She, first she goes, I'm missing my washer, my dryer, food, and my husband and my daughter. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, she, she misses her family. Clearly she's going to uh, vocalize that later on in the episode. But they're falling pretty low in the pecking order. They're like the Chet of Kathy's priorities right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always a trade-off and it's funny because you know they, they talk about it where like james is just getting fed up with him he's like look it's survivor like you know you you, you got to be out here because it's like the rain's coming down it's like they're all in the cave so they're not getting they're not getting wet because they're in the cave they're completely dry which is awesome but then you know they're they're complaining about just the dankness of the cave like it's a rank dank cave and they're like this sucks and it's like james is like come on now and it's like i get it you know it's it's you know, he, on the one hand, you're dry, but on the other hand, you know, it probably smells really awful in there. All right, and now we're going to get to a very famous scene in the season, one of my personal favorites. This is where Ozzy is going around doing Ozzy things, and Eric is just in love with him over at Molokal. Where Ozzy's climbing the tree, and Eric just stares up at him in wonder, and, and Sari, of course, one of the great narrators in Survivor history is just laughing about it. She says, you know, whenever whenever Eric says Ozzy's name, stars come out of his mouth. He's just in love with them. And, and Ozzy's like, and uh, Sari explains that their relationship is like the Lion King, where Ozzy's the king lion, and Eric is the little cub following him along, trying to learn. And then Ozzy, or Sari has the great quote, if Ozzy were to propose marriage right now, done deal. And it's going to be real. It's actually a really funny quote, considering that we're going to have Ozzy, quote unquote, die in the game of Survivor a few episodes from now. And I'm sure Eric would recreate the scene of like, Dad, wake up, Dad. Dad, you got to wake up now. <laughs> this pisses me off that you're not up. I know. Are you lying about being alive? This is what Survivor does. <laughs> Finally, a movie reference I get. <laughs> did it, did it just come out, it? Paul? <laughs> <laughs> He just uh, didn't want to be my dad anymore. <laughs> I, like how, like, I like how Eric's voice is so high pitched for all of us in his impression. <laughs> Damn. 
All right, so yeah, and then there's a scene coming up here where Ozzy makes them all row out really far in a boat because he wants to fish on the reef, and Ceri's getting annoyed because it's like, oh, whatever Ozzy says we do, we have to all do it, and this is where uh, she's starting to turn on Ozzy. She's like, yeah, he's got to go. He's he's really getting a little full of himself here. And I'll add to here, this is what I think these the stretch of episodes does a really good job of having a theme of something, this theme of, of Ozzy kind of being a condescending, controlling person. And these little subtle scenes are all kind of coming together. The episode starts off with, with Tracy and the chickens uh, thing. And then we have, you know, Sari getting really mad about how she kind of gets forced to go outside and out into the deep water where she doesn't want to go and just kind of has to do whatever Ozzy wants. So I think they really piece this together nicely, and obviously we're going to get a payoff several episodes down the road here about when Ozzy does get his demise. And I'll, yeah. re- and I'll repeat what we pointed out in our Cook Islands podcast, where you may look at like that edit and look at the edit in this season and be like, wow, Ozzy really is an asshole here. But let's remember well, all the way back in like Cook Islands episode two when we pointed out how Ozzy was a pretty big asshole to Billy. And definitely took from that early on a big leadership role. I mean, had the I2 tribe still stayed within the race war configuration, who knows what would have happened. But Ozzy, I think that's just part of his personality. I don't know if he got a big head about himself because he became a big, quote-unquote, survivor celebrity, and now he's out here and he feels like he can really command everyone in terms of his knowledge about survival. But I just feel like that's something that Ozzy has always inherently had in his toolbox was this very arrogant persona saying well i know what i'm doing so therefore i can tell other people what to do right and it's hard to it's hard to derail him because in a lot of ways he can always kind of point out am i wrong question mark and the answer is well yes socially maybe there's a different place for it but it's like that was the whole the way this set up is that you know ozzy wanted to move the boat like around to another part of the island for better fishing right and sari team player like a bunch of people were like yeah i'll help you do that and then when they got the boat out ozzy's like well wait let's go out to the reef real quick and i'll catch some fish right and you know sari's like you know i'm not i'm not comfortable with going on the deep water and ozzy's like what i do this every day and do you want don't you want me to catch fish you know it's like it's the whole and and the answer is no i i do and all that sort of stuff but that's not what i signed up for when i went on this you know a boat moving adventure but it's like on the other hand ozzy's just basically like, i'm trying to be efficient we're trying to go out here i see the, i see the reef let's go to the reef catch some fish real quick and you know the other people are just you know go with the flow because it's an island and there's nothing much to do so it's like you can see ozzy's point of view but at the same point ozzy is not taking anyone else's feelings and he's just like look i want to go out and catch fish and i'm going to do it i don't want to do that right now you don't want me to catch fish you don't want us to have fish yeah. To, to follow up on something Paul just said, that's kind of interesting, because I, I wrote it in my notes, too, that it's it's hard to say that Micronesia has a central storyline, because it's not really Parvati's story, it's really more Ceri's story than Parvati, but they do a good job, as I'm watching it, of doing a bunch of little mini-stories. Like, the first couple episodes were one little story, fans versus favorites, and then kind of the story turns around where it's it's really Joel versus Mikey, Mikey B, that's the story, and then we get the story where Amy's kind of caught in the middle, is she going to be a fan or she's going to be a, be a favorite? She's going to get uh, have a horrible downfall in a minute here. And now the, the storyline's kind of Ozzy starting to be a little arrogant for his own good. So there are a lot of good little mini stories in this season that I don't not think necessarily add up to one good whole. But there are some really good points of this season that, like Paul pointed out, Ozzy's storyline I think is handled very well. They set it up very nicely and it plays out pretty much exactly how it should. And it's not abrupt where it's just one episode rise fall. They set it up over a a number of episodes yeah i mean i 
No, I, I, I agree with that. And I think that I think that Paul brought up a good point with that. And I think that you pointing out is good. I think that ultimately that's the thing is that we're going to talk about Parvati and, and, and the end of the game and the win and all that stuff anyway. But I think that the way the ending happened where they thought it was a final three, became a final two, Parvati ends up winning and stuff like that. Like, you know, Parvati has gone on to become such a character in the Survivor lexicon but just looking at Micronesia as a whole, I can see that, you know, talking about there not being like an overarching theme, that, that Parvati is our winner and she's literally just a backstory, just a number and had the the flirtation angle with uh, in her in her alliance. And it's like that is all she is at the moment. And it's like she's not really going to come into fruition until near the very end. And, and even there, we still have Sari and, and stuff going on. So you're right. There's not like this overarching thing. And I think that because of that, the end of the game, it's like, oh, it's done. Someone won. But, you know, we had lots of nice little things along the way. Yeah, it's funny. I, we, I, we have a lot of feedback from our listeners, you know, before we start taping these episodes. And we get a lot of people that say, I hope you guys trash Micronesia. I hope you point out how overrated it is, how it sucks. I hope you guys just, there's hate for it. And I'm like, well, none of us really hate it. I mean, Paul actively loves Micronesia. I don't think it's the strongest season ever, but I don't hate it by any means. It's just, it's weird that people really, there's a lot of uh, anger out there. People just want us to rip the season apart. And I'd, I'll be the first one to say there's some really good stuff about Micronesia. I really admire some of the storylines and some of the stuff they're doing. And in fact, I want to point out Amy's story in particular that I don't even remember that story being mm-hmm. there the first time I watched it. And now I notice that she's a much bigger character than you think she is. Yeah, you like, have She's to, not really that invisible at all. And you have to admit for this being a 20-person season, half of which include contestants that, as Jay has pointed out many times, have no real ability to win the game they this pre-merge like paul said is strong in that every person who gets booted even someone as inconsequential as mary you can say okay i can understand the story behind why they went home whereas there might be other survivor seasons where you're like okay why did brianna from guatemala go home i don't really understand that so they do a pretty good job of being able to Large, between larger arcs and smaller story arcs that are contained within either a few episodes or one episode, really be able to see exactly how that person lost the game. I mean, I'll just go back to the statement I made at the in the previous podcast to the statement that you just made, Mario. I just think that a lot... I don't want to make a blanket assumption about our listeners, but I just think for a lot of people, it's this idea of almost undercompensation that they feel... Micronesia is so overrated that they are going to trash it and put it at the bottom of their rankings because in their yes. sort of psychology, yes. it's like, well, it's clearly not the best, so then it has to be the worst, when the reality is it's very clearly somewhere in between. Yeah. Yeah, I think the editors did a really good job with what is not necessarily a strong season. I think just the narrative, the way it goes out, the way who gets left at the end, who how people get voted out, so many medevacs and injuries like it's really kind of a disaster of the season but the editors do a good job with making it salvageable and telling some interesting stories so that's kind of the more i watch the season that i kind of look at it as a triumph of the editors that they did a good job telling a story that's not very satisfying all right and on that we should go to the reward challenge money stones Episode. Yeah, the money stone. Now, are Micronesian money stones a real thing? And he just make that up. Yes, they are. I remember reading are, an, an yeah. economics textbook in either high school or college about how Yap, in particular, which I think is like a Micronesian colony, or maybe it's a, a country, they used to use money stones of varying sizes to denote currency. Well, one, yeah. I think they go to Yap uh, is one of the places they go to reward post-merge. And two, 
Don't you remember uh, Survivor Palau at the final six, the trivia challenge? Uh, one of the questions is about these stone, the stone money, and they what the, one of the answers is it can get as large as however many, like one ton or whatever the answer was. Wouldn't that be a very easy currency to for to forge to make counterfeit? Just grab a stone. Oh, it's a money stone. No, but that's that that's not how they they're used for the most part. Like like the bigger ones, like they were using the challenge. Like a lot of times. Those those stones don't move a lot of the times. Like you're thinking, like oh, they they lug them around, right? Or like <laughs> you have like a stone in your possession in your your area of land, and then you want to you you know purchase a, a piece of land or use it as like a dowry in a marriage or something like that. And you're like, well, I'm gonna lug this stone to the Joneses' house now because it's theirs. It's like you know th- these cultures rely a lot on oral history, and so it's literally just more along the lines of like these stones are somewhere like maybe somewhere central or, or somewhere like they are. And like, it belongs to the Smiths. Right. And it's like, okay, that's their stone. But then it's like, they use it as, as a purchase for something or a land or dowry. And then they're like, all right, it is now no longer the Smiths. It's now the Joneses stone. It doesn't move. It's just, it's a thing that somebody owns somewhere. You know what I mean? I kind of get it, but say, okay, let's just say as a hypothetical here, let's say Joe and Edwin, Joe and Edwin want to go to a strip club. And they want to bring a lot of singles because you don't bring big bills to a strip club. A, a friend told me. So, uh, well, how does how does the Micronesian money stone play at the strip Harvey club? Harvey doesn't charge. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're probably yeah, that, if they're if the singles are probably what like little tiny like probably like uh, a dollar sized money stones <laughs> in that regard. Yeah, I'm just yeah. Uh, I don't know how a Micronesian strip club would work. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but. Okay, well, you know what? I was going to give like a serious answer to this question, but you know what? That's so not called for. Let's move on. I actually, I don't care all that much. I just wanted to right. talk about Joe and Edwin going to the strip club. Okay. That, no, that's that's my own problem is I'm just like, no, let's talk about this lot. No, you know what? No, that's going, not. Going to, the strip, going to the strip club is another way to attract crabs. <laughs> God damn it, Tim. All right. <laughs> Episode seven, reward challenge. This is the one, yeah, they roll the Micronesian money stone and they have to be blindfolded. You have a caller leading people through a challenge. And then at the end, they have to build a puzzle, of course, out of smaller Micronesian money stones, which would be the singles that you would take to the strip club. And we have, like a, we have one caller and one that's supposed to be a caller, but is sort of like the pickup person. Yeah, or... yeah. <laughs> I love that. Where they're like, Are they not allowed to talk? Yeah. Yeah, like, you'll be blindfolded, but you'll have one caller, and then you'll just have someone who isn't blindfolded that literally just is silently running in the back that picks up the, the puzzle pieces once they've smashed them. And one of They'll them is Kathy. You know, it's great. Like, you know, they're just like, Kathy, just 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 stand back and pick up this stuff. Uh, yes, and the reward, of course, for this one is the spa day, the Herbal Essence Great Escape Spa. They get to get clean. I thought they had to. Es- that, this would have been a perfect time for the uh, the escape from the jail cell challenge, considering it's the great escape spa. All right. So yeah, we have Sari and Eliza as the callers for either tribe, and Sari has a hard time when she's telling people to turn right when she's actually telling them to go left. She gets all mixed up. It's kind of a fun challenge to watch, but at the end, Sari, uh, <clears throat> Ozzy, and Eric lead Malakal to a victory. Malakal wins the reward, and they get to go to a spa day. Well, most of them do. <laughs> yeah, well, what you know, happens in this one is that... Yeah. Luckily, Ozzy is the gentleman, and Ozzy says, you know what, I'm going to step aside here and let my tribe go and enjoy this reward. I'll take it for the team, and I'll go to Exile Island. Or at least that's what Tracy should have yeah, whispered to him to make him believe that. 
Oh, wait, that's not what happened? <laughs> oh, oh, that's right, I forgot. Oz no. is a tool. What does he do? <laughs> he asks Tracy to not go to the spa day. Could you take a hit for us and go to Exile Island? Thanks. Be a deer. So, yeah, so Tracy is, uh, I would say she volunteers, but she is volunteered by Ozzy not to participate in the reward, and she and Siska go out to Exile Island. So we go to the spa reward for Malakal. It's basically everybody but Tracy, and uh, it's kind of a funny scene where Amy and Amanda both get topless. They're in the shower, bathing and scrubbing, and it's kind of like the scene in, in Amazon, except that all of a sudden there's Ozzy in the middle. Ozzy is perfectly fine showering with two naked girls as Suri watches and just kind of giggles at the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and there's also Eric. Eric drooling over the whole thing. <laughs> Ozzy's naked. Ozzy. Yeah, this is uh this is this is funny for a variety of reasons. Again, Sari in these episodes kind of alternates between like funny in one episode and really conniving in another episode. So this is this is one of her funny episodes since it's an early, it's an easier vote. But I just love her talking about how all she sees are a couple of boobs and then Ozzy's head smack dab in the middle. In the middle, it's a fantastic image. And yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess with Tracy gone, Amy and Amanda did not feel they were overshadowed by the the boob power, so they decided to get naked. Though of course that seems to be Amanda's mo. All right, so there's our uh, spa day over at Malakal. Meanwhile, we cut back to IRI, and this remember, this is the tribe that was suffering out in the rain. They just wanted to be clean. They're stuck in the mud. They're eating raw clams. It's horrible, and just pretty much more of the same. It's a dreary, rainy day, and Kathy, of course, is starting to break down. This is, I believe, her sixth breakdown at this point. Yeah, so Kathy is flipping out here. She's uh, trying to send vibes to her family. She can't feel them. She basically is, is having a panic attack and again anybody who's been through anxiety knows what a panic attack feels like where you just feel like you have to do something go somewhere and you can't you just feel like you want to get up and run and i i just know from exit interviews that kathy was on some kind of anxiety medicine or something and she's going through withdrawals here because she was forced to, to go off from cold turkey and she's basically going through a withdrawal symptoms here so i'm sure paul actually probably knows more about what was going on well, I will say this. I, the stuff I read was the the days leading right after she got voted off, and she doesn't mention this at all in her um, exit press right away, but I know things have come out over the years, and I know she um, has done some interviews. Mike, do you remember when she was on RHEP and she talked about this at all? Yeah, I think a little bit for the anniversary. And even, like, there was a spoiler that had existed leading up to this season where I forget who the, the, the source was, but they revealed a lot of details that turned out to be correct. But one of the incorrect details was somebody had, I remember, spoiled in the forums of Survivor Sucks saying, there's going to be someone this season who tries to chop off her own hand to quit the game. And we didn't see any of that on Survivor. But it turns out that it was kind of true, I believe. Yeah, I don't actually. I don't know that much about it. I have. I have. I kind of. I, I, I heard, this, that, I heard that Kathy. And again, I, I forget at what point she had said that, but I would heard that she was in such a panic state that she had tried to cut her fingers off with a machete to try to get medically evacuated from the game because apparently that's the thing to do in Survivor Micronesia as of late. Yeah, I'm actually friends with Kathy. I've talked to her about this before, and I, I've heard that as well. That yeah, she she wanted to quit. She wanted to go home, and or or she just didn't really have a medical reason to quit. She was just kind of panicking. She was off her meds, and she yeah, she had threatened to cut off her fingers, knowing that they'd have to medevac her. And so there was like a a big serious uh, intervention where the producers basically had to beg her not to do that, and we'll let you quit. Blah blah blah. But it was a it was a much scarier thing in real life than I think it shows up in the episodes. I think they really toned down 
how crazy she was going being off her meds and everything. It was a, it was, again, I've, I've been on anxiety medication myself. I'm on uh, Lexapro right now. I, I totally know this. You do not cold Turkey go off those. If you go off them, really bad things can happen with serotonin and stuff like that, where you just, you just cannot deal with everyday anxiety. You have to slowly taper off those. And I think she'd given up smoking right before she was off her pills and she, she was just going through a full blown, blown panic attack. So now then I have to ask, do we think the producers made a mistake casting someone who is theoretically reliant on medication onto the show and then depriving her of it? Yeah, my I answer mean, is, my answer is yes. My answer yeah, is I mean, there's yes. some fault in theirs, of course. I mean, there's obviously some fault on Kathy's. Like, you should probably should have thought that out a little ahead of time, realizing you're going to go off all this stuff. But yeah, it was just it was just a bad idea having someone that volatile and that dependent dependent on medication to be out there. It's just. It just seems like a very unfortunate thing that didn't have to happen. Well, it, it shows you. It shows you even at the time, even of Survivor Micronesia, how little people know and/or know how to deal with in just mental health scenarios. You know, for the fact that, like, you know, okay, and and with the medicine thing, like, okay, so Fair Play couldn't have his his you know pain pills for the Bonaduce, but like you know, James could have like a, a a nicotine patch or like a nicotine you know pill yeah uh and things like that but then kathy can't have you know uh anti-anxiety meds like it's it's a weird it's it's a weird slope that goes in there like what will they allow and what won't they allow mm-hmm. yeah you i know, would but, i would actually i would actually like to hear kathy's take on this one more time just to clarify i'm, I'm think we might be speculating on some of it yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I, I also don't do remember her like of that she didn't say every she wasn't 100 percent honest with what she was on at the time and what she would be going off to go on the show i also know the big part of it was uh that i don't think she came out and said right away in her, her immediate exit press um was the fact that she did get to go home after the fact and she was kind of on lockdown in her own house but that was a question that people raised they said you want to quit the game go see your family but you if you quit the game you don't go home yet but given the circumstances she was in, I do believe she was able to go home and just couldn't leave the house until the end of the taping. It's so interesting comparing this to the Jenna Maraska quit in Survivor All-Stars because there are very similar mentalities in the whole feeling my family thing. Because let's remember, Jenna Maraska was like, I just have a feeling that something's going on with my mom and I need to leave right now. It's a little different from Kathy. I don't know if feeling my family necessarily meant that she felt that they were in danger or just that that was the one tenuous connection that was basically holding her sanity together on the show. And that breaking kind of solidified her going off the deep end. But it's interesting comparing this to, and Paul, you just mentioned that that's another circumstance where the castaway immediately went home. So it's kind of interesting comparing those two scenarios. Well, yeah, it's partially also, you know, when they always have a family visit, and people get so excited because they have someone they can talk to that they trust. This is such a, a novel concept in Survivor. Like, my brother's here. I can give information to him, and it's not going to be used against me down the road. That's what I think was going through with Kathy. She's scared. She's frightened. She's And when you go through these panic attacks, you just kind of need an ally to kind of talk you down. And no one out there in Survivor is your ally. You can't trust anything they say. They're all your enemies. They're working against you. So it's just, it's just she got spiraled out of control, I'm pretty sure. You can see her asking James repeatedly for hugs. I just need a hug. I just need someone to tell me it's going to be okay. But she didn't trust when people would tell her it was going to be okay because they're all lying to you on Survivor. So let's, it was just, I'm sure it just must have been horrible. And it was also a tough situation for the other IRIs to handle as well. I mean, when you have Kathy's sort of final stand when she talks to the other IRI women, 
they sort of don't really know what to say. The only response that Natalie gives is she's like, well, we've all had a tough day, which isn't exactly the most sympathetic. Which, by <laughs> the way, that did look like a really tough night. Going deep into that cave, that looked scary as hell. And Kathy even sort of goes a little meta in a previous confessional and points out, you know, when I'm sitting on my couch watching Survivor on TV, you get a 30-second montage of it raining. You don't realize that you're sitting in the rain for five to six hours at a time, which is something that I know we've talked about and really displays, like, honestly, the difference between fan and favorites, between someone who has watched this game and someone who knows the game and knows exactly what you're going through when you sign up. Yeah. There's other one other thing I wanted to point out about this scene is that, you know, when she leaves... We cut to James for a confessional, and James, not historically the nicest person to other people in confessionals, talks about they're sick, they're going to die, they cry, they're whiny. Like he's, especially he has a bad history of talking about trash about females who he thinks are weak. But he's very nice and sympathetic to Kathy, saying you can't blame her. You know she's going through a rough time. Like you, you can't fault her. It's just, it's not. I mean, she's trying her best. It was a rough night. So James is extraordinarily nice to her on the way out, which is I think is a nice little. Uh, different side of James you're not used to seeing. Yeah, I, I'm not going to. Uh, uh, I'm not going to make light about, about all this things, you know, especially uh, me being sensitive towards um, uh, mental health order, it, it, you know, uh, things like that. But uh, you know, it's, it's tough, and it, it's it's tough. It's tough to see someone, you know, just just not, you know, have to go out. But that's that's what Kathy needed to do. And uh, that's what happened, you know? Yeah, I always do feel a little bad that people in the Survivor community kind of refer to the fact like, oh, yeah, remember Crazy Kathy from Micronesia? Because, yeah, it's it's not great assigning her that label when it was very clear that she was suffering out there. And this is definitely one of those moments. I know we just spoke about the disparity between watching Survivor on the couch and actually participating in it. This is a good example of it where... I think, from what I remember, a lot of people might not have been Kathy's biggest fan for doing this. Remember, this is still a time in Survivor where quitting is still kind of shat upon. We're not at the point where someone's doing it every season. And so it's still looked upon as being on the Survivor as some kind of reverence. And so, you know, blatantly disobeying that fact and leaving is still a little offensive. And especially, you know, people saying, well, you know, she couldn't feel her family. That sounds bullshit. I, I would have been able to do that. But again, you know like James vocalizes, you can't put yourself in that scenario. It was the only connection that Kathy really had to still want to play this game. She might have found herself in a very similar Chet position in that she knew she couldn't win. And when, you know, seeing Chet go home, seeing Tracy might go home next, and then going through a miserable night, you're, you're really at your wit's end. So I totally sympathize with Kathy here, especially the fact that, like, she felt her connection to home was broken, and that really was the last straw. And... You know, I, I. It's also interesting hearing Kathy admit on air that she made a mistake. Uh, I think obviously that might be a sign from producers to show the audience, like, oh, Kathy's not coming back. But it's not very often that we hear people say on TV, "It was a mistake for me to sign up for this TV show." Yep. Although, in Kathy's defense, I will say I know her. I've seen her off the show and stuff, and she's a pretty good sport about making fun of herself. Like she calls herself Crazy Kathy as much as anybody does. So. Like, well, I mean, even though obviously it's a sad thing to see what she went through on TV, when she's on her meds, she's pretty tough, like most of us. She's She's got a good sense of humor about herself, so Kathy, she understands. 
and, and Kathy Sleckman has been uh, uh, not 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 a friend, not just a friend of yours, Mario. But Kathy Sleckman has been very active on Survivor message boards, you know, in, in face, various Facebook groups for a while. She's been super approachable. If people ever want to talk to Kathy, and you know, is she in ZLS right now? Yes. Yeah, you know, like if you ever want to talk to Kathy, Kathy will talk to you. She is super great about talking to anyone and everything like that. I mean, she's probably going to make fun of you because, you know, Kathy is 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 a needler and it's fantastic. But uh, if, you, if you can take it, you know, Kathy is there and, and she can definitely talk to you uh, and all that stuff. And you're right, Mario. She's got a good sense of humor about it. I think we, we went a little more serious with the um, mm-hmm. with the thing. But I mean, Kathy would probably be like, come on, guys, you know, liven it up a little bit yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. And, and I will do so with this. Mario, you're a baseball fan. What? Like, yes. Yeah. One of my favorite crawls you know how like on espn or something like that when they have like the little crawl that ticks across the screen and sometimes they're like this you know injuries for this team you know and it'll be like this person elbow or this person you know back or something like that do you remember mark wollers <laughs> i know mark Wollers, relief pitcher for the braves threw very hard yeah, yeah mark wollers he was a relief pitcher for the for the atlanta braves won the world series with him but mark wollers just uh he he actually um he gave up in the in the '96 World Series against the Yankees. He like he gave up a home run um, in in one of the late innings, and it you know it was a blown save and you know big deal. And you know the Yankees went on to win that World Series and stuff like that. And ever since then, he wasn't quite the same. And he started doing a thing where he literally just could not pitch the ball over the plate. <laughs> yeah, you know, like he he'd throw the ball, he like deliver a pitch like a serious pitch and it'd literally be like eight feet too high, you know, and it'd just go to the backstop. And uh-huh. he literally developed this mental block where like they had set him down to triple A and even in triple A his ERA was like 10, you know, and he had like, uh, you know, 40 walks in like, you know, 15 innings or something like that. Like he literally just could not pitch the ball over the plate. He just, and it was just completely mentally blocked. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's sad too. And I'm not saying like, aha, that's funny. But one of my, my crawls that I always thought was funny was they, you know, at some point later on, you know, they were talking about like people who were out for the for the team, and it said Mark Wollers, and then the reason, you know, leg, back, things like that. It just said anxiety. <laughs> yeah, and so it's enough- like you're talking about people like leaving the game. Mike Scoopin, burned hands. You know, <laughs> Bruce Kanagai, uh, you know, blockage in intestines. Right, Jonathan Penner, leg. Kathy Sleckman, anxiety. <laughs> and I just want to point out a little survivor-based trivia question here. The relief pitcher who replaced Mark Wollers on the Atlanta Braves, a guy named John Rocker. I was oh, gonna say boy. I was gonna say Rupert. I'm assuming that's an answer to any survivor <laughs> yeah. trivia question. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna I was gonna leave it for a question for our listeners and say like the whoever gets it right, the, they win the prize, and the prize was gonna be like one of Kathy's fingers. But I decided I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I will again I'll I'll refer to what I said in the previous podcast. Despite of the rather serious ending that she had to the show, Kathy is still, in my mind, one of the biggest derps that Survivor has ever seen. And her, her previous yes. six episodes definitely prove that. Yes, I think she even out uh, Big Bird's Krista Hasty. <laughs> How dare you, Mario? <laughs> I, I, I was the biggest Big Bird. <laughs> All right, let's get Mr. Snuffle up and kiss and get out of here. All right, so we uh, go to the episode seven immunity challenge here. Although right before the after Kathy leaves, we have a quick little scene where Sari is starting to take over Malakal. She's kind of pulling Amanda aside, saying, "You know, Ozzy's kind of arrogant," and Amanda's like, "Yeah, you know he is." So this is the rise of Sari starting right here. It's kind of a sneaky that, scene. That right Amanda before. impersonation, by the way, is pretty killer. I got to tell I you, like, yeah, Paul, yeah, how, yeah. how does it stack up for you? I don't think it was that good. Well, what oh. I did like was when uh, 
Suri's cut just quoting uh, Eric about that. Um, you know, Eric talked about if Ozzy wasn't here, we'd die. Shut up, Eric. <laughs> and then Amanda goes off to wrestle another shark. All right, episode seven, immunity challenge. This is the one where they uh, you have to pull someone through the water. They run out and they hook up to these puzzle pieces. They get the pulled pulled via a winch back to back to the rest of the tribe. And then they have to do a little puzzle. Oh, and again, good. and again, I really like this puzzle because it's like not just put a few pieces together. This is like sort of a tangram in that there are several different shapes and they need to form a perfect square when put together. So I again, I like how they're deviating a little bit from the regular formula of the puzzle perspective. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, so Ozzy basically runs the whole challenge for Malakal, and he they dominate in the physical part. But then at the end, maybe not so much. And this is where uh, it's Eliza and Jason Siska, of all people, come together to solve the puzzle and win it for IRI for their third consecutive immunity win. It was fun to watch just the the, the different strategies and stuff that went along in, in the sense that Ozzy ran most of the legs to go out there and get the the, the pieces and, and attach them to the winch and then get pulled in. And it was funny because you saw even at the beginning, like Eliza ran the first leg against Ozzy and Eliza kept up with Ozzy like like they sort of got to the pieces out there at the same time but as you saw like Eliza or Ozzy gets on there pushes the piece in the water and then they winch him in and Eliza just hooks up the piece and then just sits <laughs> on top of the piece I'm the waiting <laughs> god damn it Eliza she ruins everything so then they finally get in and then you know Ozzy goes on another leg, and it's funny, like, the third leg, he, like, tags in Eric, right? And then Eric's gonna go, so Ozzy gets uh, a little bit of a breather. And I'm sure and Eric, Eric just had, like, that was the best moment of his life, like, finally, I get to impress him! <laughs> I'm a real boy now! <laughs> and, you know, what's funny is that, you know, then Jeff, like, basically notates that, like, apparently Eric isn't running the course well, which seems weird, because Eric is, like, usually so good in these challenges, right? But then, you know, Eric isn't running, you just see Ozzy's face, he's just like, ah, oh, damn it, Eric, come on. Simba! <laughs> but but you know uh, the other tribe's not doing very well either, and you know Ozzy's tribe has just like a massive advantage, like just a massive advantage going in the puzzle. But they basically take the strategy of they get all the pu- the pieces loose and they literally just start moving them around and trying to make a square shape. And you can see finally when Eliza and Siska get all the puzzle pieces and they look, they spread them out and then basically they just mentally solve the puzzle first. Like they're just literally like, if that one fits there, that one fits there. They didn't move any pieces. They literally just looked at them all and figured out how they would go. And then once they figured it out, they then just moved all the pieces and solved the puzzle in one. It's interesting actually comparing the new Malakal to Oolong in a way. I know they share a beach, but like new Malakal like Oolong, got rid of a strong guy early on between Joel and fan favorite Jeff Wilson. They both have people who are leaders but claim that they aren't leaders, and they both really screw up puzzles all the time. So there actually is a lot of odd parallels between the two tribes. That's a good point. I like the little trivia question that Ozzy is on one of the losingest tribes in Survivor history at this point. He just cannot win. All right, so uh, Iri wins this one. Although I do have to point out here that you know how we've joked that you know Micronesia is not really Parvati's story. At no point has Parvati gone to tribal council since the swap. Like we have no idea what's even going on in Iri. Which again is is that another thing that you? I don't know if, if that's luck or if that's just sort of a circumstance of the game. But do you put that in the luck column of had Iri visited tribal council, maybe Parvati wouldn't have gone, but things might have been a little different come merge, where Parvati sort of has her troops ready at the merge of, okay, I have James, Natalie, and Alexis. 
over here, I'm going to have Amanda, Ozzy, and Sari. Now we're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, we have no idea what was going on in IRI. Probably know they were making new alliances every day. They were scheming, but again, you never see it because there was never any reason for it. It's like the first couple days at Rotu. No one has any idea what was going on there. Yeah, and it's it's so tough because you, you think like, you know, Molokal would do way better in challenges on paper, and they just didn't. Yeah, Again, Ozzy. like Oolong. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, Molokal has lost immunity for the third time in the row, and it looks like it's going to be either uh, Tracy or Eric tonight. They're the only two fans left. They're up against a bunch of favorites. And uh, this is where Tracy really starts pushing hard for the girls. Come on, let's blindside Ozzy tonight. If you don't get him out now, you're never going to get him out. And she really pushes and really pushes, but it just it just doesn't happen. It's just a little, little, too little, too late, I think. And what could have been if Amy was able to successfully organize a 3-2-1 vote, Sari's patented strategy against Sari? That would have been incredible to watch. Yeah. I mean, Amy, again, Amy was this close to being a major character this season of just a couple things that happened differently but yeah it's uh and and i wrote in my notes here that you know molokal should be getting crushed they should be getting destroyed they lose every challenge but they keep getting lucky because on the other side penner you know got medevaced kathy quit so every episode's turning into a double boot episode even though molokal sleeps keeps losing so they're getting very lucky as well here there's also a really funny moment weird amanda moment in this pre-tribal council segment where all the ladies are standing around and tracy's like Okay, who's it going to be, ladies? And then Amanda goes, I mean, don't look at me. And then she gives the most awkward giggle I've ever heard to try to like, <laughs> shake off the nerves. It's so forced. It's fantastic. It's to a watch. Montana thing. Leave us alone. <laughs> it's got the Montana seal of approval. Yes. So, how, how is the Montana giggle go, go, Paul? I'm not familiar with the scene. I didn't notice it. <laughs> and it goes right. on for like five seconds. <laughs> Wow. All right. So, and with that, we lose Tracy. Tracy is voted out as expected, and she put up a good fight. And again, a lot of people think she's one of these underrated goddesses that, you know, just had a bad luck and could have won Survivor. And you know what? She was a strong player. I will not doubt that at all. I think she was the strongest player on the fans. I think she uh, deserved a lot better than she got. It's too bad she was just on such a crappy season. But again, well, there were some that. decisions. Yeah, there were some decisions earlier that... Like keeping chat around, which I don't think we're necessary. You're gonna get so thing. much. You're gonna get so much hate mail from the Natalie fans out there. Oh, good Natalie. Yeah, we haven't got to. Well, Natalie has yet to show up in the episodes. We're waiting for her rise still. I, I'm waiting. Paul will tell us when Natalie's uh, storyline arises. Oh, don't worry. So, we're still waiting. <laughs> okay, so who do you think was the best player on the fans? Oh, Tracy. Well, Tracy yeah, but, awesome. then, but then you also have to wonder. I mean, there was a little bit of a hand that she was dealt in the beginning where. I don't think she meant to end up in a minority alliance with Kathy and Chet, the two weakest people, but I guess social circumstances kind of bind you to that. Well, accord- according to Tracy, on day one, they came up and they told Tracy and Chet that they were that they were on the outside. You two are like the oldest people. You're going to get voted off. So we'd have to decide between the two of you who's going to go. Yeah, so, there, so, I mean, that hand was forced. It'd be interesting to see. She was able to warm her way within the fans' alliance, and I wonder, had the had the fans uh, not anticipating the swap really come true and they decide to stick in fans versus favorites for a while, exactly what would happen if, presumably, the fans keep going back to tribal council? You know, like like you said, there's, there seemed to be a, a foursome that was really the core of the fans, but I wonder if Tracy, at least, could have infiltrated that. Because I was definitely impressed... With her, um, she didn't 
probably meet my level of expectations that I had when I first saw her, considering that you did point out that, like, yeah, this is her last stand, but I feel like there's more Amy than Tracy in the past couple of episodes, which surprised mm-hmm. me. So I wouldn't say that, like, Tracy is a superstar pre-merge boot, but I think she's solid enough that I'd be interested in seeing her come back and play with specifically a different crowd of people. Yeah, I mean, because I've said it a million times, and I'm going to say it a million times more. All of these fans are dead meat this season. Like, they literally have no shot. They have just no shot whatsoever. And you can't always just look at placement of finish, right? And and that's always the thing that I think people get into, because it's hard to objectively rank or rate people in Survivor, because you can just say, oh, well, this person came in second. They're obviously better than the person who came in fifth. And it's like, are they, though? Because, you know, sometimes, the, you know, people get in places because of agency, right? Like, look how far Chet got as compared to other people that may, you know, have had better worth in agency, right? And sometimes people take big swings and they miss and they go out earlier than maybe they should. And if they didn't take the swing, but maybe the swing was their shot to win. And, you know, if they just wrote it out, they may have gotten a better place, but they probably weren't going to win. So it, it's very hard in Survivor to, to just look at a, a, a placement and say, well, they're only as good as how they placed or something like that. Uh, you know, because some fans are going to go a lot further than Tracy in this game. Jason Siska, Natalie, um, uh, you know, get there and, and Alexis, you know, and stuff like that. But it's like Tracy tried. She really tried to change dynamics and all that sort of stuff. And she just came up short. And I mean, I'm not going to say that Tracy was super good and, you know, deserved to come back and blah, 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 blah. But it's like these fans were dead meat and at least Tracy tried. And I'm just saying Tracy technically placed in the same placement as Kelly Wentworth and San Juan del Sur. Just saying. Yeah, the one thing I was going to say is I liked uh, having Tracy around because you could always tell when it was a cold day out. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. The Survivor Historians, where the discussion is even more pointed than Tracy. All right. So let's move on to episode eight. This is uh, we only got a little bit more time here. We're trying to squeeze this in under three hours. So, but, well, it's it's been three hours, but let's bonus content this. <laughs> well, yeah, because we this is such a weird episode, and specifically a weird way to end this pre-merge. It's just yeah. I can't put my finger on how it's so weird. Maybe it's because the post it's one challenge, so all the post immunity challenge stuff just seems to be running in circles over and over again. But such an odd episode. And just yeah. we start off with the weirdest hunting scene in black and white. We don't know what the hell is going on. It reminds me a yeah. lot of like that episode of Marquesas that starts off and you're not sure what 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 they're doing. And I think that's when they discover the skulls and stuff. But it's a very weird opening scene where we have Amy and Suri walk into the woods. Yeah, I was going to say that I have it in my notes here, Circle, that for people who don't remember this season, go find episode eight. You can get it on Amazon Prime. You could get it. I don't know if it's on uh, CBS. Yeah, Hulu. But look at episode eight of Micronesia and watch the first scene with Amy and Sari where they're hunting crabs. And it, it's like a it's like a horror movie. Yeah, it's the, weird. There's no music. The, well, the soundtrack like, like is a horror movie. It's like the, the strings are really playing fervently in the background, but there's silence for a good while. They're in silence until Amy just stops Sari and is like, okay, let's keep going. And you have no idea what they're doing until Amy brings down her machete, which is going to be her main tool of use this episode, and comes out with a crab. And then we have this big joyous music as they make a big crab feast the next morning. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic scene. And again, it's just, I can maybe only think of one or other two scenes in Survivor history that are anything like this one. It's just the editor's doing something artsy with this scene. It's just, it's an odd scene. I like it a lot, but it, there's no bearing on the episode. It's kind of fun. 
All right, so we start the episode with the crab hunt, and then we go back to Malakal, and Ozzy is upset because last night at Tribal Council, there was a lot of discussion that he is the leader and that everyone defers to him, and he's really starting to bristle about this. He's like, he can kind of see the writing on the wall. They're trying to set the scene for him to take a fall. He's like, I don't, I'm not the leader. I don't see myself as a leader. So Ozzy is still upset, and he's still bitching about that today. And, uh, I love, also, I love just in that, in that thing, because it was funny, because, you know, Probst asked who the leader was, right, of the tribe, and because he's like, you guys lose all the time. You have a leader, and Tracy's like, yes, it's Ozzy. And Ozzy, of course, is trying to, you know, pawn it off, like, no, I'm not, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. then they go to Suri, and Suri has just got to be, like, beaming that, you know, no attention is on her. And what I love <laughs> about Suri's answer is Suri's like, well, I wouldn't say Ozzy's the leader, but 90% of the decisions run through him. <laughs> yeah. And Ozzy's like, did I say you could say that? And Ozzy isn't helping himself here in this scene with Amy, where it is weird that, like, the past two episodes now have seen, like, Ozzy coming into conflict with the person that's going to be the eventual boot. But, you know, Amy trying to comfort him and being like, hey, I don't believe you're the leader either. We all pitch in around camp. And then you have Ozzy saying, like, Amy was a little too adamant about saying that I'm not the leader. I'm pretty sure she should go next. Yeah. Amy's being a poop pants. You know, but but in a weird way, I, I make fun of Ozzy all the time. The fact that the dude has just no social game and just has no idea what's going on. But at the same time, I'm not saying it, Amy has guilty blood on her hands and stuff like that. But it's like Amy's just like, look, it's it, it's OK. It's all good. You're all good. And Ozzy's like, she's protesting a little too much. And he's kind of right. Yeah. You know what? I just realized something. Why that hunting scene is at the start of this episode. If you were to if you were to be the producers of Survivor and you were telling the story of the season, and you knew Ozzy was a huge fan favorite. He was a big fan favorite in Cook Islands. It was a big deal that he came back, and you know he was about to get a big, slow downfall like Rupert got in Pearl Islands. There was some horror movie stuff during Rupert's downfall episode, too. There was a stuff about the snake eating the... It was like a snake eating a rat or something. I forget what it was eating, but there was a there was a lot of disturbing horror movie imagery in the Rupert downfall in Pearl Islands. And Ozzy's downfall kind of starts in this episode with everyone setting him up to take this fall. And I can almost see the producers seeing this as a big tragedy. Oh, the fans are going to hate that Ozzy's going to be voted out. So maybe that's why they started with that horror movie scene. I do recall that Pearl Islands weird. episode did have a lot of rot and death. So I guess it does make it a horror it movie. So much! Yeah, okay, so yeah, Ozzy is absolutely right. Amy is a little too flippant, saying he's not in any danger. She's being a little poop pants, and he's like, you know what, I think they're coming after me. So Ozzy knows, he can see the writing on the wall coming now. All right, so we go back to Irai, and this is the scene I was talking about earlier where Irai's starving, they have no food, they see a rat. Siska goes over there and basically... He almost accidentally catches it. It kind of runs into his, whatever he's holding. It's like he's holding like a broom or something, and it kind of runs into it. Yeah, I don't. I don't exactly. I still don't know exactly how he killed it because he was like holding an oar, and you see the rat. Theoretically, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be able to catch a rat with that, but the rat just sort of maybe it was the Jason Siska <laughs> of rats, and that it was able to just run straight into the oar and just keel over. It's, it's kind of the Montana style, like with the man and the shark, just kind of just runs into you. Oh, don't don't. Jason should not tell Ozzy that he caught the rat. <laughs> yeah, he was so manly wrestling that two inch rat. <laughs> Maybe that was the uh, the rat could not feel his family, and he decided to take the easy way out. Oh, well, I love the line that yeah. uh, there's a really quick line here. Parvi talking about Jason, and she, in, in reference to him, she says, "I think he's a loser." I know. 
That's just a horrible thing to say. Yeah, well, she said, well, she says, like, I know Jason's been trying to impress us since the Switch, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he's still a loser, which, again, we're about to see Jason become humiliated over the course of the next three episodes, so yeah. she's definitely setting him up yeah. there. Well, this is the scene I talked about earlier where Siska reels off, like, hey, we're eating a rat. They haven't eaten a rat since the first season in Borneo. I'm like, how the hell do you know that? Yeah. That's something Eric should be totally saying, not Siska. Yeah. Totally fed to him. All right. And you also, uh, and you also and get then, some great James stuff here, too, where him and Parvier are uh, in a running theme complaining about Iray's camp. And I know, Jay, you talked about how uh, James is well-read. He throws out some great references here when he's he's talking about, like, how choppy the water is. And he says, you can't go in that. Popeye wouldn't go in that. You would die. <laughs> Jack Cousteau would be like, damn, that ocean's right there, man. On the other side of there is California. And while his geography isn't great, I give him many points for his uh, his his Popeye reference and his Jacques Cousteau name drop. Where did the Jacques you get Cousteau is good. He's a sailor man. I know. <laughs> it's just funny. That's the first person you think of. Popeye. Well, but then this the scene bleeds into Natalie's coming out party, right? Yeah, she learns how the game is in stages. <laughs> No, here's another line from James you forgot. You can live on Malakau. Over here is where you take the criminals. <laughs> yeah, I love that Iri is the Australia. The of, Australia, yeah. Of, of Micronesia. I take offense at that, mate. <laughs> this island's <laughs> pooping out people all the time. <laughs> this island's quite regular. It's full of poop. Yeah. Now, you rat, your metamucil? rat, how you doing, rat? Can you poop? <laughs> All no, right. it can't, because it's dead. It killed itself. All right, so, yeah, this is where we finally cut to Parvati. Parvati has not really talked much in the last couple episodes, and she says, you know, I, I need to keep Alexis and Natalie from going over to the other side once we get to the merge, so I better pull them in, because they're going to be dangerous down the road. So, yeah, this is the one where, where, uh, where uh, Parvati pulls in Natalie, and Natalie's like, wouldn't it be great if the final four were all, all, all four females? Wouldn't that be hot or something like that? Yeah, so Natalie's that, first her coming out line is, how hot would that be? Which is getting as a precursor to Natalie's jury question to Parvati of how does your gameplay mimic your bedroom style? The yes. really great bookends here. When we really first see Natalie, it's telling about how hot it would be if those four girls were in the end. And then the other bookend is is that comment she makes to Parvati at the final travel council. So it's pretty poetic. It is weird to see Parvati pivot over the course of one scene, though. She goes in there saying, okay, you, me, James... And Alexis. This is for stage two of the game, as she lets Natalie know about. For this post-swap pre-merge, this is the four that we're going to have. And then Natalie floats this idea past her, and she's like, you know what, actually, I'd like to put Amanda in there instead of James. I want to take out James as soon as possible, which is definitely going to become a running theme in the post-merge. She also kind of channels... Is she channeling Boston Rob when she does the everyone else, the dead to me? Or is she trying to channel the Godfather instead, the original source material? Yeah, I'm assuming she's quoting The Godfather there. Because she doesn't know who Boston Rob is. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure she's seen those seasons. Yeah, this is, again, this is literally the first Parvati storyline in like four episodes. And I will say in her defense, she I love her thinking here. She's like, you know, I'm with Ozzy and James, but I can't beat them at the end. I'd be nuts. It's like, I might as well take someone else, one of these girls, these no-name girls with me. So, you know, Parvati, she's a very sound thinker. It's a good idea, and this is this is going to be how the season will play out down the road. It kind of sets it in motion here. The, the veals are in motion. All right, so uh, this is where we get this weird twist where both tribes get tree mail, and it says, okay, in today's immunity challenge, you're going to pick one name on this piece of paper, and they're going to sit out of the challenge, and they cannot 
participate, but they will be immune tonight at tribal council. So choose wisely. It's kind of like the one they did in in China, which James is not thrilled about probably because that's how he got nailed last time. But yeah, it's one of these pick someone to sit out of the other tribe twists. And I don't know how I feel about this one-time individual immunity stuff between like the the stuff in episode one where Kathy and Yao Man get the idols, and now here where Ozzy's going to get individual immunity. I mean, it could theoretically provide an interesting wrinkle where Eric even outlines it in this scene of like, I am praying that Irai decides to send me over because that would definitely screw things up. But it just seems a little random this could be another example of like the producers calling an audible realizing oh we had too many double boots now let's do a combined challenge in one day and do this impromptu go to exile do not pass go do not collect two hundred dollars twist yeah to me this is just one of those random twists that they throw in just to have a twist like there's not really a purpose for it yeah, this is one of those i didn't even remember until i watched the episode this morning i'm like oh i don't remember this at all but anyway, they uh, they choose one, and uh, Iris selects Ozzy for Molokal. Ozzy. And the then Molokal ultimately... did you too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they originally the Molokals picked James to sit out, then they cross it out and put Alexis and write not like James. They... <laughs> yeah. Not James. Yeah, I like how they really like label that not James. <laughs> Something tells me that I feel like Eliza would have been the one to be like, oh, no, 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 we have to cross yeah. it out and write not James. Let me just make sure totally. she has a lawyer in her. <laughs> yeah, fucking totally. Eliza. Just ruin the paper, Eliza. So this is like a, a combined sort of ropes coursey sort of deal, but it also harkens back to that one challenge that was in Palau where, like, mm-hmm. two people have to run the, the course and, you know, go over a little rope bridge, balance beams, you know, barrels, and all that sort of, you know, ropes coursey kind of stuff to get to the end, retrieve a flag and come back. But then, you know, there's two members on the other tribe that can like swing bags to try to knock them off and, you know, basically impede them. Yeah. It's like a most extreme elimination MXC. Uh, Kenny Blankenship. That's right. That's right. Kenny. Yeah. It's like one of those challenges that is waiting for people to bail. And there, there are some good bails in this challenge. Although I should point out before we get to the challenge, the reward and immunity, this is, you win immunity, plus you win pizza and beer. So this is a good one. Everyone likes pizza and beer on and if Survivor. We're, if we're going back to the theme of Jason Siska being a little douche to probes, I love this exchange where Jeff says, yeah, you want to get to get today's challenge? And Jason just speaks up and says, how about we know what we're playing for? And then Jeff says, <laughs> how about you give me back immunity? So it's clear that even though Penner has left, Jeff has found like a new, uh, a new rival in his heart in the form of Jason. <laughs> Damn, he just wrecked Jason. How does that make you feel, Eric? Tingly. <laughs> right. So yeah, so Eric and Amanda are running for Molokal. Jason, Siska, and Eliza are running for Irai. And, you know, Siska's actually a pretty good badass in this challenge. I have to give credit where credit's due. He does pretty well. Eric does really well. But there's one cringe moment in this challenge that I hate watching where Eric is doing this thing where he jumps over the entire first obstacle and tries to land on a platform. And at the end of the challenge, he tries it, but he's tired and he doesn't quite jump far enough. And he basically crushes his sternum against the side of the platform. Better, better or worse those... than Bobby John getting his chest continually cut on that rusty barrel. <laughs> yeah, that's well. Bobby John is made of iron. He's the he's a different breed of cat. Eric is very fragile. But yeah, I cannot watch that Eric scene because I I've seen people that injure their sternum before. I remember seeing uh, in pro wrestling a guy named Bret Hart cracked his sternum once on something just like that when he ran into a railing and it's it's got to be the most brutal injury you could have when you have something to that area so it's 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 rough to watch 
Also, I do believe that was a tougher injury. Uh, we're getting all the impressions out of Jay this podcast. I love it. <laughs> That's right. There, there is a, Eric's strategy you could think is like a little bit of a gambit, but if you look at it, you could say, yeah, Amanda ran the course for Malakal. She really didn't because she never really got past this first obstacle, which is like this wobbly bridge that uses stepping stones. And so Eric just says, screw it, I'm going to bypass it. There's also this really interesting element of the challenge where it seems like only one person can run the course at a time, and it looks like the first person to like touch the obstacle gets to go on it. So I guess Eric's strategy pays off then, because if he wants to get across as quickly as possible and touch the obstacle so he can be the first one across, that's the easiest way to do it. Though, again, in spite of his big leap, Siska is still able to crush the hell out of this challenge. Yeah. And you think the producers would learn about having a challenge where two people have to go on one platform and one has to wait for the other? Because in All-Stars, that's what happened with Rich and Sue. So luckily, we did not see a similar incident with Siska and Eric. All right. So, <laughs> okay. so yeah, so Eric injures his sternum and Siska dominates and Iri wins immunity for the fourth time in a row. Yes. So and Ozzy and Alexis have to go to Exile Island. Mm-hmm. Which we didn't even mention. Last episode's Exile Island, not even shown. They're going back to that Cook Islands thing of, like, if it's inconsequential, they're not even showing it. Which, right. thumbs up to Exile Island once again, producers. You really did it again. <laughs> so so basically, Ozzy is back there, and he's just basically like, hey, I hope someone maybe took it. So he feigns reading the clues with Alexis, and he kind of does the thing like, whoa, when you get to the end, you have to, I don't know, you know, and... They go out to the spot, and basically they're going around, and Ozzy basically overturns the rock to basically see if uh, his bait has been taken, and it is. Oh, yes. The, the, the well-telegraphed storyline continues. Which, which, again, you know, if you're paying attention, just as Mike said, they, they are not showing Exile Island because it's inconsequential. And at this point, we know Ozzy's got the idol, but they let us know again that Ozzy is checking to make sure that someone has the fake idol, that Jason has the fake idol, because I wonder if Jason's going to play this fake idol later in the season. All right. So with Ozzy, Ozzy, yes, the answer is yes. It is. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> Sorry. I thought we didn't do spoilers here. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Well, th- <laughs> yes. this is the interesting thing though. And I don't want to tan- uh, go on a tangent too much, but this is one of those rare storylines where the producers are letting you in on everything that's going to happen. Yeah. Next time on Survivor in episode 5 into episode 6 was Jason basically Jason finds a fake idol. Next time on Survivor after this episode, Jason attempts to present Eliza with a fake immunity idol. Like yeah. they're really telegraphing what's going to happen with this storyline. Yeah. This is one of these yeah. where like they're not they're you know we we get on Survivor sometimes for you know trying to keep things obfuscated, you know, purposely. You know, and oh, let's 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 get a zinger. Let's let's get like a surprise going out. You know what I mean? But it's like this one, they're not even surprising. They're just like, oh my god, this is a ridiculous fake idol. Wouldn't it be someone if, funny if someone plays it? Someone is totally gonna play it. Like they're they're letting you know the fact that we're showing time that they that they wasted a lot of our previously on Survivor time to show that you know Ozzy made a fake idol and that Jason picked up the fake idol. They gave the wonderful music cue and a whole segment to Jason picking up the fake idol, and then they come back here to. Exile Island, they have no real reason to other than to remind us that Ozzy knows that someone picked up the fake idol and that there was a fake idol. You know, they're telling you that the idol is going to come to play. Like, if he doesn't play this fake idol or realizes uh, or he goes to Eliza with the fake idol and he's like, I have a, a mute idol. And she's like, no, that's that's the stupidest fake idol ever. And he's like, oh, okay, and throws it in the ocean. They're not going to waste time on it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't feel bad when you're like, 
oh, it's a spoiler. Jason's going to play the fake idol. You should know by now it's going to get played because they're telling you. <laughs> I should point out that we immediately cut back to uh, Irai and Jason says, you know, I think I need to win a lot of immunities here and from here on out. This is how I'm going to get far. He pauses and he says, also my hidden immunity idol. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah, so this may pay off later. May pay off later. Yeah. So we also, get that. Yeah. Also at Iri, we have their chowing down on pizza and beer, and James is opening all these bottle caps with his teeth, which hurts to watch. Yeah, and you could also we have a fun little like uh, pairing with the Ozzy and Eric stuff. You have Jason trying to open a beer bottle like James, and James is just lecturing him the entire time. <laughs> well, yeah, he's <laughs> just like, you don't pull it, you know, you got leverage, and it's just like, no, you're just like you're you're in, you're like insane to like open a bottle with your teeth. Okay, fine. Okay, all right. You're going to die. Those are probably twist-off caps, too. But, you know, neither of <laughs> them are there. Yeah, okay. So now we go to Malakal, and this is where it's, it's going to turn into Amy's last stand. But and we start the scene that Ozzy has been granted immunity, so he's not going anywhere tonight. It's four favorites against Eric. He's like, I'm screwed. There's no way out of this. And Amy even says the same thing. She goes, I don't see any way out for Eric tonight. It's four against one. What's going to happen? So it's uh, it goes down this path of Eric's going to be toast tonight but eric in one of his better moves of the season pulls Sari and amanda aside and basically says you know amy was trying to work with the fans the last couple votes you guys don't realize how close she was to voting ozzy out like she's not with you she's with us the whole time and, and amanda go ahead i was just gonna say and so this is where amy being sympathetic and saying i need to reach across the aisle and comfort tracy not be poopy pants might actually have bit her in the ass because what Eric is saying is absolutely true. This is what Amy has been doing. She's been, as according to the edit, has been conspiring with the fans to take out Ozzy and really ruminate on it the past couple episodes. Whether or not she was actually going to do it, it's indetermined, but these words were still said. So Eric, you know, his back is up against the wall. Amy tries to save face later by being like, well, he's obviously desperate, but it's true. And I agree. I don't know how what Jay thinks, but I actually have to, have to give Eric some credit in that he was at least able to pitch things the right way to make these two individuals turn on somebody who has been on their tribe from the beginning, as opposed to someone who has been on the opposite tribe, and as they say in the episode, may have other ties on the opposite tribe that would make him jump ship after the merge. This is a time where, yes, you have to give credit to Eric. You, you must, because he did he did say the pertinent information to Eric's credit though. Here's the thing. What if Amy hadn't had done that stuff? Would Eric have like tried to come up with this story anyway? Yeah. See, I, I would have the argument that I think Sari might have turned on Amy anyway, because Sari does, she verbalizes it later. She goes, you know, Amy may or might, may or may not have done this against us. She might not be someone we can trust, but if we get to the merge, Amy's never really been with us the whole time anyway. She's dangerous, and Sari points out she's got Eliza over there, and Amy and Eliza were buddies back in Vanuatu. Like, I don't necessarily know if, if this wouldn't have happened even without Eric. It, it well, may have just happened, because she's dangerous not, too. It may not have happened. I mean, it did seem like Eric's going to go, but it, you know, we do see that when Ozzy comes back, Ozzy's going to lobby for Eric. So you're right, Mario. It may, it may have been one, one way. But Eric does take the information that he knows and uses it to his best advantage. And you have to give him credit. You yeah. can't not give him credit. You have to give him credit. My whole thing is that you know, also, good players, I think, can you know, try to you know, manipulate the situation and, and, do, and make something up. Whereas Eric literally just said something that was true to people, which kudos to him for doing because if you don't do that like you may go home and and he said it to the right people and he said it in the right way 
But like on the other hand, I'm sitting there going like it was really fortunate that Amy did do those things. The proximity yeah. of this scene is so odd as well because while Eric's giving his pitch, Amy comes meandering in the background and just sort of stares at them and she gives this awkward uh, line of like, oh, you've been telling them everything I've been doing since day one. Then it cuts to commercial. We cut back. Amy's giving her pitch. Who's sitting six feet away cutting open coconuts while Amy is basically disparaging Eric and his game? It's Eric. So yeah. it's, it's such a weird thing in that, like, you would think, okay, now as Amy goes off to the woods to give her pitch, no, this all takes place, this is like a play. It all takes place in the same set with characters just walking in and out and talking in front of each other. <laughs> it's like noise is totally a play. <laughs> sardines, yeah, no, love, sardines. <laughs> and then you get the scene where Amy and, Amy and the girls kind of bond. And they, they Sari and Amanda pull in Amy, they have a big hug fest, they all love each other, and... Amy goes out and talks to Eric, and she's like, you know, I haven't really felt like I was a part of this tribe until today, and we had a big cry, and we we, uh, held hands, and I loved it, so thank you for that, Eric, and she's like pointing a machete at him at the time, which is kind of a fun little dichotomy. And he he just goes, you're you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, I told the truth, we don't lie on Survivor. So then Ozzy comes back from exile, and Eric's like, uh, Ozzy, uh, (laughs) Betty, I I need help. (laughs) Yeah, and Ozzy... He said, he says in this episode, you come after me once, you're dead. So he hears that Amy's been coming after him, and he's like, you know, Eric would never come after me, and I'm sure Eric's loyal because he's my little puppy dog, and so he's furious that Amy's been coming after him. So yeah, it's just a combination of things working against Amy that may or may not have happened if if things had worked out a little differently. I think Amy, or uh, Ozzy calls Amy a a lying little brat. Oh. Or snot, like little snot. That was it. A snot. I will. I will. I will say though that the, the machete pointing scene is probably the only scene that resonated with Vanuatu Amy's edit. That I could yeah. see her doing in Vanuatu. Everything else, including what we're about to talk about, where Amy breaks down in tears at tribal council, is most definitely not the person we saw seven seasons ago. Right. Yeah. So we get. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say it's one of those things where. Where people always say, oh, so-and-so said this and it changed the game. Like, oh, Tracy did this and it changed Joel. And I, I agree with Jay that you have to give Eric credit for making this argument because it's totally logical. But at the end of the day, I don't know if you could say one person did this thing. I think, if anything, Sari was the one who did this more than anything. Well, and I think that it's, it's, a, it's a marriage of convenience in a lot of ways. Yeah. In the sense that Eric was going to go home, probably. And then Eric fights and brings up a point. And it, and it puts a seed of doubt in Sari, right? Where she's like, mm-hmm. okay, you know. It'd be okay to get rid of Amy, but then Amy pleads her case, and like maybe at that point they're like, okay, fine, we'll go with it and and take out Eric. But like Ozzy comes in and is super pissed and wants Eric to stay and wants Amy to go home. And I mean, it's Sari. It's like, well, I'm working with Ozzy and I need Ozzy now. Like, and I don't need Amy, you know, and 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 Eric. So I mean, at that point, you know, to me, it's one of those things where even though Ozzy made a big stink and and wanted Eric to stay, like Sari's just like, all right, fine, I'll placate you this time. Like, yeah. Ceri's calling the shots, and it's like, the initial blow-up just sort of signals to Ceri, like, yeah, you know, I don't know if I can really work with Amy and go with Amy, so Amy's got to go eventually, but, you know, they patch it up, and she's like, yeah, but, you know, Eric's good, good to leave, too. So, like, it goes either way, but I think that Ozzy coming and making a stink at the end is probably what, again, sways Ceri to just go, you know what, yeah. fine, Amy can go. And Ozzy's not the leader, by the way. He's most definitely not the leader. The idol yeah. is most definitely not on the ground. Yes. So, yeah, so we go to tribal council, and this is a very, very sad scene right after the Penner sad scene an episode or so ago where we get Amy's breakdown at tribal council. And, again, it's 
it's one of those things that when I started watching Micronesia for historians, you know, the common belief was that Amy's an inv invisible. She doesn't get an edit. It, that they do a weird job with her. But she's actually quite prominent in, mo in a lot of these episodes. And she has a very sad downfall. And her story makes perfect sense. She's kind of in the middle. And her kind-heartedness gets her in trouble a little bit. It's, 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 it's very interesting watching it this time, realizing that Amy's a lot more important to the season than you think she is. Yeah, and, and the thing is is that it, it's black and white versus shades and gray and all, all, all that sort of stuff. Because... You know, Ozzy's basically calling her out without calling her out. So then she basically starts breaking down, you know, probes like, what's up? And she's like, well, he's talking about me and then drops the guard and they start talking to each other. And what's funny is that Ozzy's basically like, you know, hey, you had a plot to get in a name. He's like, well, I could have, but I didn't. Right. Like, I'm you're still here and I'm still here and those people are gone and and stuff like that. And Ozzy's just basically like, were you or were you not gunning for me at one point? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like. You know, the problem is, and that's why Ozzy is not the best survivor player. Like in this situation, he's he's going to get his way. But like he's like, oh, so you thought about voting me out once you're dead to me and you're done. Whereas like, God, in modern survivor, how often do people talk about like, you know, flipping the vote to this person or flipping the vote to this person? Like it's just casual conversation. So like, yeah. you know, you know, the fact that Ozzy can't deal with someone, you know, talking once like, oh, maybe I'll entertain the thought of voting Ozzy out. But like Amy's like, yeah, I could have. I could have gone the, with him. The funny but part I is didn't. that they, the rest of the tribe has all talked at one point, including his his cuddle buddy has all talked about getting rid of him. So yeah. theoretically, he should be mad at all of them. It just so happens that because Amy was outed and it aligns with him saying, "Well, this is a way to protect Eric and vilify somebody that was targeting me and really sending yeah. a message to everyone else," he was able to kill two birds with one stone. Right. You know, and, and that's the whole thing is that Ozzy does not want to work with Amy. Ozzy wants Amy out of the game. Like, Amy has no use to Ozzy, right? And was never in the tight core alliance and all that sort of stuff. She's outlived her usefulness to Ozzy. So uh, nothing she's going to say here is going to save her. But, you know, it's it's funny because when he's like, yeah, you're disloyal. You were gunning for me. And Amy sort of makes the argument of, I could have gotten rid of you. I had the numbers and I had the people and I didn't because I stayed with you. Even mm -hmm. though that's not like totally her thinking b behind everything, you know, um, that's actually like a really logical point of view. And like if if that were me in the game, I'd be like, oh, I guess I guess maybe I can trust you. You know what I mean? But it's like at this point, it's too late. So, you yeah. know, it's it's heartbreaking to see because Amy is she's getting she's getting dinged because she did. She was, you know, and, and, and I think that it's I think that it's also disingenuous to say, oh, she was just being nice and reaching out and being friendly to them. And she got in trouble for it. Like she entertained voting Ozzy out. Right. Like yeah. she did. You know what I mean? And, and then she's like, but I didn't, you know, and it's like, well, that's a mistake. I'm sure if she could have that one back, she'd have that one back. But like, you know, you know, it, it's 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 OK both ways. I mean, you see Amy's point of view. But on the other hand, she did try to get out Ozzy and he didn't like it. So you can see yeah. both ways. But I think you're well, exactly right. I totally don't remember all this Amy stuff. And then watching it, you're like, oh, my God, it's so huge. It's sad, too. I, again, this is like like the biggest tribal council of the season for me so far. I was watching all these ones and like the fair play one was a big one. But this one was kind of heartbreaking to and again, I was just shocked that there was this level of emotion in this season, which I just remember being a ha-ha, blindsides, ha-ha, laugh at the people. Well, yeah, that, but well, you brought up the exact point as to why it makes sense why this boot and Amy is not remembered. What is Micronesia usually remembered for? Big, bombastic characters and hashtag blindsides. 
Amy yeah. is not part of either one of those categories. Amy is a fantastic normal person who happened to be given the edit in Survivor Vanuatu of girl power. I think this season show that she's probably a much more compassionate, pers- more down-to-earth person than her initial edit made her realize, and I'm happy to see that, um, in that I know that returning players always has a weird thing in terms of edits, but the fact that she really was not a huge personality like someone like Joel or Chet or Kathy, and the fact that she wasn't blindsided like we're about to see over the next five or six episodes means she was kind of left out. She's kind of, unfortunately, in that category of people where you're like, oh, yeah, I remember Amy went. It's obviously, if you watch the Tribal Council like we just did, it's obviously very emotionally impactful. But if you're looking back on the season where we're about to see a string of giant flash-in-the-pan moments happening, it kind of falls by the wayside. Yeah. And see, I'd, I'd always argue that non-blindsides can often be better TV than blindsides because the non-blindsides, you can see it coming. You can see the tragedy coming, the heartbreak for the person. Like, Amy, you see all the emotions on her face. I think it's, to me, it's way more uh, impactful as a TV moment than a blindside is. And I know I get a lot of people arguing that because that's not what survivors kind of conditioned you to think these days that, oh, blindsides are what we want. They're so amazing. But like the Amy one, this is a fantastic one. I kind of compare it to the the Aaron episode in, in Thailand, which is just the last 20 minutes are all just sad. And there's no blindside. It's just sad because one, one of them has to get voted out and they all love each other. And so, yeah, the Amy one, this may be one of the stronger, albeit weirder episodes of the season, but I do like like it very much because it doesn't fit with the rest of the season. Paul, say something. Um, sorry, you guys got really into that. It was hard to butt in there. Um, I know, that came, I know. So say something, Paul. Say something. One thing that came out in the uh, her exit press was that Ozzy pulls up to the beach, um, literally goes and talks to Eric, and they walk and get in the boat and go to tribal council. So Amy didn't have any chance to talk to Ozzy uh, before actually going to tribal council. So I'm not sure if that would have had any difference on it. Well, it's almost um, like a Michelle Yee situation. And then with that, we lose Amy, who again, who most people think was a totally wasted character in Micronesia. And I would argue very vehemently that is not the case. You should watch it again and watch for her storyline. Yep. Although one could argue, now that Amy's gone, and now we're about to merge, uh, now the season is about to kick into what people think of as Micronesia. Yeah, so we're at a really interesting transitory part here. I think I said at the end of the last podcast that this would be what some might refer to as the weaker part of the season, these past few episodes that we covered, considering that there's some weird stuff that happens. The Joel blindside is really interesting, but then you have the oddities of the Penermivac, the Kathy quit, even this Amy episode, we just point out how odd that was. But I think... We've talked about how most, if not all of us, were pleasantly surprised by this group of episodes, what people would consider the slog, because it does set up a lot of really interesting stuff that we're going to see in a few episodes from now. It has a little character highlight moments so that we don't exactly have uh, too many Marys of this mid-pre-merge crowd, but... Yeah, what we're about to get to is essentially what people think of when they get to Survivor Micronesia. And I feel like this, more than anything, is what has divided the fan base when it comes to this season. Whereas some people feel like it is, it is all sizzle and no stake in terms of the actual material that comes out of these blindsides. Some say, as you just pointed out, Mario, blindsides are what Survivor is about. These are great TV moments. This is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. But I feel like we also got through the episodes that might have had the least amount of meat on them. Because... Even though we only have six episodes left, each one of these episodes has something so significant in it that it's going to take a big chunk to talk about it. 
One thing I wanted to bring up here is that people always, I always try to put a, to frame these seasons in their historical context, how people viewed them at the time, how they related to them at the time. Keep in mind, we were, we just finished episode eight. So we just finished two months of Survivor. People have been paying attention to this show for two, two months, eight weeks. And we even even haven't even got to most of the stuff that people are going to remember as being Micronesia one day. So at the time, this was not really a popular season at the time. I remember people thinking, eh, it's okay for an all-star season. People would say, why was Amy even there? They did nothing with her. Like, Just remember that. When everyone talks about Micronesia being blindside heavy and all that stuff, people had to sit two months through this, this season before they got to the fun stuff that everyone remembers. So it's going to be interesting to go through it again as if we're watching it for the first time. And I will say, add on top of that, that we are not uh, sure here if this is going to be a three-part podcast or a four. We've actually had internal debates among ourselves if we think we can finish this in three, or if this might actually be our first ever four-part podcast. I know Mike, in particular, is very uh, insistent that there's no way we can get through all this important stuff in the next, what, six or five, six episodes in in one podcast. He thinks it'll probably be two. So this may be our first four-episode four podcast. And in such a heralding New Age season as Micronesia, it would only be pertinent if this was the thing to truly bring the Survivor historians into a new realm of episode length. Exactly. Because it has Alexis. We need more Alexis. Oh, God. I thought we could end the show without talking about her. <laughs> That's really why I needed the extended episodes ago. We didn't talk about it. It was so annoying earlier in the show when she was talking about how the when the favorites came over and how they were just helping them fix up the thing. And she goes, it is unbelievable. I'm like, oh, stop it. She's excited, <laughs> Paul. She's happy. They've been dying out it's there so for 12 fake. days. It's, how would, how would you feel if you would have essentially you're on death's door and now these people are coming in from the godsends being able to actually build a shelter for you? You're happy. You're going to express yourself. I'd much rather have her on the island than some sort of morose Debbie Downer telling me that the world is going to end. It's it's such a fakey and I just it, it's soon enough. Soon enough, Alexis, you will be gone. Paul thinks she's a loser. Oh my God, we're she almost on four her. hours. Let's get out of here. <laughs> well, we started late. It's about three and a half. But yeah, okay. So uh, we will wrap this up. Again, thank you for listening. Hopefully we were able to make your commute a little faster or your subway ride or your flight you were on. And hopefully we made it pass a little better. That's why we're here. As always, if you have any feedback, you can reach us at survivorhistorians at gmail.com. Or uh, we have, uh, there's always a thread about our episodes on the tribe on their Facebook page. So uh, hopefully you're enjoying Micronesia and we will hopefully get to part three and or four in a timely manner and you won't have to wait too long. Um, As always, I'm Mario Lanza and if you need some Micronesian day labor, go to the Home Depot and find Joe and Edwin. They they will take care of all your tasks for you. And I'm Jay Fisher. I'm I'm not much, but uh, pretty sweet. Uh, I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm I'm pretty pissed at Paul's accusations against Alexis, and you will pay for them come next podcast. I'm Paul Osselson. Four more episodes until Alexis is gone. <laughs> All right, we will talk to you guys later. Thanks a lot for listening. Goodbye. Damn. I mean, my ass. <laughs> what? All right, you need to stop bitching and start throwing. Just hitting him as hard as we can, Jeff. Look at me. <laughs>